this is Maureen Milliken. And this is Rebecca Milliken. And this is Groovy Tube. The Crimes of the Brady Bunch. And today, we're finishing off Season 3. And this is Episode 12. Yeah. Of our, of our, of our of Groovy Tube. Yes. But we're, yeah, we're finishing off Season 3. It's very exciting. So we have five episodes to talk about today. While they're memorable episodes, none of them... There's not much about any of them in any of our Brady research no, books. There's there's not much. But we don't need their nah. Today we are covering episodes nineteen through twenty three of season three of the Brady Bunch. So episode nineteen, The Power of the Press. The column Peter is writing for the school newspaper is a profitable venture. You know all about that. I do. Taking gratuities. I have one special one to talk about when we get to it. Ooh, can't wait. Episode 20. And there are many things I remembered on this one that bothered me when I was a kid, and they still bother me. Okay. Sergeant Emma. Emma, an ex-WAC, fills in for her vacationing cousin Alice and starts the Brady's on 6 a.m., calisthenics and inspections. Basically, she runs the place like she's a drill sergeant. Episode 21, Cindy Brady Lady. Cindy suffers the pangs of being the youngest in the family huh. until she discovers a secret admirer. Gee, we've never had a plot where somebody suffered no. the pangs of being the youngest before. Episode 22, very hard to find on the internet, by yes. the way. My Fair Opponent. Marcia tries to help the dumpiest girl in her class win election for hostess to the Big ball thing. Senior banquet. Yes. Episode 23, The Fender Benders. Mm. Carol's minor accident in a parking lot turns into a court case. Mm-hmm. And with the return of Jackie Coogan. Yeah. So the first one, The Power of the Press, and this is Peter's flirtation with fake news. Oh, yeah. And he uses it much to his advantage. But it starts something we've seen recently on a couple episodes. He's running into the house screaming, Mom, Alice, Mom, Alice. And Greg and Marsha. And yeah, then he adds Greg and Marsha. Guess the rest of them don't count. And it turns out he's been picked to not only be a reporter for the school paper, but also to write a column. Yes, and he's already decided the whole truth is going to be the title of his column by Scoop Brady. He tells Allison, Allison Carol are making salad. And he's going to stand the school on its ear. Oh, with the whole truth? Yes. And then he envisions himself working for his high school paper, then his college paper, then winning a Pulitzer. And he'll be a, uh, he does know what a Pulitzer was. Yeah, but first he has to learn how to type. Yeah. He says. It's kind of cute. Yeah, I guess. Yeah. And the next scene we see, Marsha is upset because they're up in the girls' room and someone's stolen all her school right. supplies. And then we go through a long extended... Greg we, and Jane, we got, everyone. Right. Including Mike, they're missing pencils, they're missing carbon paper. Which and people Mike's, don't use anymore. Right, they don't. Paper. And Mike's even missing his typewriter. And Jan says to Marsha, check with Scoop Brady. That's right. And Carol says to Mike, well, you know, that's the power of the press. Yeah. And Mike, I've noticed in this season, his hair's gotten longer and shaggy, or it's very 70s. Yes. And he's wearing his old velour shirt. I know, I he love. is. The old blue velour shirt. And Carol says, oh, and he also took your old fedora. Yes. And Which, is that what you newspaper yes. people wear all the it, time? Yeah. This is the one accurate journalism <laughs> thing, thing in, this, in this show, is that we do all wear fedoras with a little thing that says press <laughs> and the label. And you have to go out and buy one before you can start your okay. job. 
we see Peter in the family room. He's hunting and pecking. Yes, he's hunting and his, pecking. He's wearing his hat with the press And for thing. those of you who don't know, because I don't know if that's still a thing with computers, but hunting and pecking is when you type with just your index fingers. I think people still do that. Yeah, they still do. The one course I took in high school that helped my journalism career the most was typing. I took typing. I took Because I can touch type. Many times. And and I, it didn't help my career as a journalist, but it helped me pay the bills because in and out of stints in college, I worked as a secretary, or as they call it now, administrative assistant. Yeah. So. Yeah, but Peter is wasting a lot of paper, which seems to be what people do when they're when when they're writing, writing on this it. show. Yeah. yeah, he has a whole waste basket full of crumpled paper. And Cindy and Bobby come in and turn on some western. And, and, then, <laughs> and like, when Peter refers to himself as Scoop, Bobby says, "You mean stew?" <laughs> yeah, I liked that. And then they're watching something, and one of them says, "Haven't we seen this before?" And, he does, and Bobby says, "Oh, they're all they're alike. all like." Yeah, um, and I almost wondered if they were if they were knocking themselves a little because although the plot on this one isn't as familiar as yeah, some other. Although it's as similar. So Peter gets up and turns off the TV, which I hate it when people do and they always do that on TV shows. They always shows. do this on TV shows and then we have one of their everybody yelling at the same time moments and Mike comes in. And Mike's like, like you two can go upstairs and watch TV. Well, and like, the TV's small up there. And Peter points out <laughs> that he has to be near a phone because some big news may break and Mike's like, well that's a good point. And I'm like, really? <laughs> he's in junior high. You know, he's not going to go cover a fire or well, something. Maybe the coach will be, you know, found to be having... And and Mike says, one of Mike's many aphorisms this show, when someone has something important to do, sometimes you have to accept a little inconvenience. (laughs) In the living room, Jan and Marsha are playing with puppets, and Carol comes in, and we learn from their conversation that it is finals time, Mm -hmm. and they have finished studying, and Jan and Marsha are finished studying. Now, can you really be finished studying? No, you can never be finished studying for a final, and Carol's very concerned about everybody and their finals. And whether they... Yes, because Peter comes in and Carol says, you better be studying. Right, and we also learn that they're doing a skit for the jamboree that's going to kind of make a little fun of their teachers and the puppets. Just good-natured ribbing. Good-natured ribbing. And the puppets look like their teachers, Yes, they do. They're very professional-looking. I know, they're cute puppets. Peter comes in and they want to see his column and they kind of wrestle it away from him. And all it says is the whole truth with nothing on the page. It's blank. So they have some good ideas to give yes. him. Yes, he's like, before I had this job, I had a million ideas, and now I have nothing. And they're like, well, what about Jamboree Night or the undefeated girls basketball yes. team? Who'd want to write about that? Nobody wants to read about girls' sports. And he gets excited, though, about yeah, it. Yeah, and he, he goes running off to type away. And then later we see Greg and Alice in the kitchen reading And Greg's his, got a striped shirt. But he had that on earlier. He so did. He, he has thing. it a lot on this, this bunch of shows. And neither of them look like they're enjoying they're what very reading. And so Pete wants to know... What they think of it, Alice says the typing is very neat. Yeah. And Greg finally comes out with the fact that it's dull. And then they give him some very bad advice. Well, well, some of the advice isn't bad. They tell him that to put people's names in Which the column, people like to read their names. Yeah, and also you don't do that just Well, just pe- for your accuracy, right? I mean. Right. You put people's names in not just because they like to read their names, which is true, and their parents like to read their names. And if this weren't a school paper, you know, that's why Little League and stuff is in the paper. But also to inform, it's a more informative thing if you have people's names. I'm having trouble understanding what he wrote about if he didn't have any names. Well, he was writing about the girls' basketball team. Maybe he didn't single anyone out and yeah. stuff like that. It's know. a team sport. There's no I in team. <laughs> but then they give him some b- bad yes, advice. They too. tell him to flatter people. Right. That to play to their egos. And on one hand, it's a column, so 
it's not... Like, Greg gives an example that I thought was, you know, instead of just saying they made 14 apple pies or whatever for the bake sale, say, which girl makes the grooviest apple pies <laughs> in the school? And I'm thinking that's not... Good. If well, it weren't a gossip column. Yeah, yeah, that's true. Which would have been more interesting. And so Pete takes their advice. Yes, and then they show him in the hallway at school, and this girl, Iris, comes up and says, I've been made yell leader thanks to your column. And I didn't know what yell leader was. I th- but isn't the head of the pep squad or something? Maybe. The person who, I think I've heard that before. And, I don't know. But we find I, out. That wasn't in our school because I would have tried out. <laughs> I know. I think both of us could have been yell yeah. leaders. You know, I. I'm, sometimes I've been called the human microphone. <laughs> <laughs> but we find out after a few more kids approach him, and she doesn't... Well, she's going to take him for a malt to, to thank him. That's true. And then another boy comes up, and he gave, gives him candy bars. A box of candy a bars. A box of candy bars, <laughs> what Pete wrote. And then another girl's all happy because she got... She's going to sing the solo. The solo, at the jamboree, and Which, she's... To me, is weird because, like, if she's a good singer, right, she would have gotten it. Although the press was very influential, <laughs> like, just because Peter says, "Oh, so and so is a good singer," yeah, you can see. Hmm. If Peter Brady says she's a good singer, we should just <laughs> choose her. And she's gonna have a party and puts him oh, at the, to the top. top of the list. We see what's gonna happen here. Yeah. That he realizes getting gratuities. Hey, which, it's not bad. By the way, big no-no in journalism. You, we don't, You're you obviously, know, you know, wealthy you don't take from gratuities. all the money people have given. You don't take, you well, don't, you, you don't can't. pay people for interviews and stuff, and you don't take gifts. It's funny when I when I was working for the newspaper in New Hampshire, there was this big Greek festival. In Manchester has a big Greek population. Yum. It's called Glendy. And they have delicious food. Yeah. And we covered it. It's very hard to cover something like that because it's basically you go over and talk to the people and write about the food and stuff. But they sent over. A big, and it lasts for like three days. And several, several years ago at the paper, they sent over a giant platter of baklava Mm. for the newsroom. And the guy in charge said we couldn't eat it. And one of the reporters said... And he yelled out in the newsroom, that's it, spike the Glendy sucks story, because they just sent over some baklava. I will admit, recently I've been doing some freelance. Did you eat it, though? Yes, we did. Of course. Yes, we well, did. Well, that's different than, well, anyway, go on. It ahead. wasn't anybody with real authority who said that. It was just somebody who was in yeah, charge for no the day. Who, who was being just a little too yeah. ethical, you know. Well, but, it, you know, but anyway, go ahead. I've been doing some freelancing for a business publication here in Maine. And coincidentally, and you'll see where the coincidence is in about 30 seconds, but I have a favorite brand of ice cream. Mm. And I'll say it's Giffords, oh, and it's I made in Giffords. Skowhegan. And earlier this year, this summer, I told Mom and Dad that the only ice cream I was going to eat was Giffords. They sometimes would bring home Ben and Jerry's or Briars. I like or Giffords the best. Especially their chocolate, which yes. is called the world's best chocolate. And it is. And my, it is. Their chocolate ice cream is so, my fave. So Giffords every year is in this dairy, it's like the Dairy Expo, and they there's all these awards given. And every year, the chocolate was the grand champion ice cream yes. for five years. So for this publication, I did a piece <laughs> this year. Their vanilla and their orange sherbet both ooh, won. Ooh. And lo and behold, in the mail, a little earlier this week... A coupon came for two quarts of Giffords ice cream. And I'm not going to give it back. Are you sure it's for you because of that? Yes, it it was uh, a thank you note. Oh. Mm. And if that compromises (gasps) me, it compromises me. But I have to say, I can't remember in 33 years of daily newspapers of ever taking 
um, a, bribe. a gift or see in my line of work which is different but it's still i deal with people a lot and they do give me gifts there's a rule uh, first of all that if someone gives you they can't give you money a customer can't give you money even if you even if you pleasure them <laughs> oh well that that's that's off the uh, lows okay that's that's um, uh, just my own right. you know, side gig there. So no, if like, for instance, there was a woman that used to come in all the time at the store, a different location where I work, and she owned a restaurant. She owned several restaurants. She owned a bunch of um, apartment buildings and stuff. So she was always looking for stuff that was on sale or you right, know, to damage stuff and whatever. And, yeah. So I helped her every time she came in. I didn't give her any deals or anything. I just helped her. Uh, she was a kind of a needy customer. She would bring food in, not just for me. She'd bring food in for a lot of people. Mm-hmm. One day I was t- friggin' starving, and she brought in some food and left it at my... She's like, I oh, know you're not supposed to take this, but she put it on my desk. What could you do? And the guy I was waiting, I was like, that smells really good. So I ate it, and the loss prevention manager is like, you're supposed to bring that stuff into the break room. And I said, you know what? What if she was my friend or... Or my girl, what if she's my girlfriend and she's bringing me lunch? That's right. You can't right. tell me. And also, what's the point? So you bring it into the break room and you eat it there. No, we, I had to share it. You're right. supposed to share things. It's like, fuck that. Yeah. I'm not sharing things. Half the people won't even wait on this woman when she comes in. Because they're assholes. Right. Because she's needy. And also, frankly, some people are racist. Yeah, I don't think, especially in your line of work, I don't understand. They have to prove that I gave her some kind of a... I mean, they can't come and give me like a $100 bill or something. Right. But if someone gives me... People give me food a lot. Right. And the thing with journalism is, for those of you who may not understand... You know, to me it's obvious because I've done it for so long. But for those of you who may not understand why journalists don't take gifts it's because your story is supposed to be objective and if you're getting something in exchange for it then even if you feel you're being fair and objective a you may not be but also if people find out you got something in exchange there goes not only your credibility well it's funny though similar with elected officials and yet there goes your credibility for that story but all your other stories and elected officials aren't under the same obligation to be fair or to be, I mean, they're not on the same obligation journalists are. Yeah, that's And that's why true. journalism isn't controlled by the government. That's true. Although Thanks. some may not realize that. Journalism, <laughs> because it, it's supposed to have no influences but its own influence. So Peter doesn't fully understand. He, it's a lo- he's got a long way to go before he gets his Pulitzer and later he's on the phone looking for some more scoops yes. because apparently, yes, the newspaper must be a daily. I think it's a, not only is it a daily, but it, he's, but now he's <laughs> hour having, to hour. I also feel like he's gotten himself into a position where his readers are just demanding more and more because he's asking his buddy for gossip and um, anything. But hey, the Mike, gossip's always good. Yeah, Mike, yeah, Mike gossip is in. always good. Says, Peter, you better be studying. Well, Mike, well, Mike walks in, Peter immediately changes. Oh. Oh, yeah, the conversation to like biology or yeah. something and but mike he's no mike's not a dumb guy <laughs> and peter and mike asks him about the conversation oh it sounds like you're you know you're talking about your studies and he's like yeah you know and mike's like well that makes me feel a little better because your mother and i were concerned that your school newspaper job was getting in the way of your schoolwork and i just want to quickly say our dad who was also a journalist especially this paper he worked for in Ohio, He one of his jobs was to recruit young reporters and interns. There was a college, I think it was Northwestern Ohio, not Northwestern University in Chicago, but I think it was called Northwestern Ohio University. 
who had had a reputation for very good journalists, and I think they had a daily paper. And I remember him saying, this was when I was a young kid, I remember him saying if their grades are good, you almost kind of wonder how hard they're working on the paper. So their grades didn't matter. Yeah, but it's, it's their writing. But I would think in Peter's case that his grades are so important since yes. he's in middle school. And later they show Greg and Marsha, they're trying to help Peter study because they both have had Mr. Price. Yes. Obviously worried about his science. Grades. He obviously knows nothing about science. It's like almost like that dream you have where you <laughs> no. wake up in the exam. I always have, I still have I those still dreams. do too, and you haven't been to class and all week. the sad thing is, I never, in real life, I don't really give a shit. No, I don't either. But it, Maybe those, someone's trying to tell us we should Those have. dreams aren't really about school. Uh, or about, but they teach him like some rhymes that I can't remember to remember things. And then I just want to mention a cute little director thing they do. Marsha has her Mr. Price puppet, and she does a little Mr. Price imitation, and then it morphs into the real Mr. Price, and Peter's there Peter's in the classroom. talking to him. Mr. Price. Trying, well, to, trying to get an idea of what he got on his test. And apparently Mr. Price is British. Well... The puppet Marsha makes him talk British, but he doesn't. He talk has British. British. He has a talk British. British. He talk British. We'd have subtitles. No, he's got a Britishy type accent, which is actually that kind of old timey actor. You know yeah. how a lot of old timey yes. actors sounded yeah. British. Well, he's old. I looked up the actor. He was born in 1904. Milton so was, Parsons. He wasn't old then, though. He was, he in, was in the, in the 60s. haunted. He was in tons of stuff. But he's disappointed because Peter got a B the first. Half yeah, of the year. He had high hopes for him. Peter's like, Have you graded the test yet? And he's like, Well, I'm doing it alphabetically and I'm about halfway through. And you can see Peter going through his head. <laughs> oh, he's done it. And no, Peter said, Oh, you oh must that you've have already got. done the bees. And he gave it, he gives Peter the test. Yeah. But he he kind of makes it takes a shot at Peter and says, Yeah, brilliant deduction. Or when yeah. Peter said, Oh, you must have done the bees. And yeah, and Peter got a D. A D. And then there's a pointless scene where Alice is in the girls' room. Playing with a sailor. And it's, I think, the whole Apparently point, a French sailor. And Alice is kind of coming on to it. And, <laughs> and Jan and Marcia come in and they're giggling. Alice doesn't notice because she's so into the puppet. And I think the whole point of the scene is that it's so sad to be middle-aged and unmarried. And that's the kind of thing you resort to. Yeah. There's no other reason for that scene. Well, they probably needed to... Well, and also they haven't humiliated Alice in a while, so yeah, there wasn't you know. really any point. Then we see Peter coming in the front door. He looks at his test again, um, noticeably changes, puts on a brave face, like mm. puts the it, test. Yeah. I'm, I'm gonna, and then he runs upstairs. Yes, he almost gets away, but Carol comes out of Mike's study, and one wonders what she was doing in there because nobody's really allowed to Mike's study. Well, she has been lately. I know, but she comes out and catches out him. She's very focused yeah, on Yeah, she's grilling her. him about the science. Yeah, she's, like, obsessed. Well, she's got nothing else in her life, you know? Yeah. Maybe she needs to have an affair or something. Yeah. That's what women did in the 70s. Because they were bored housewives, yeah. and yeah, she doesn't well, even have that much housework to do because of Alice. Because friggin' Alice. Alice is keeping her from having an affair because a lot of those women, they'd be like, like if a workman, like a plumber mm, or something yeah. came over. Anyways, maybe I would. <laughs> but she, yeah, he's evasive and he's like, he doesn't think he got an A. He wants to, you know, warn her. He doesn't think he, he got, got an, an A. And she says, I'll settle for an A minus. 
And so the pressure's on. He's in his room. Cindy and Bobby come in to watch TV because they're good. He has to stare at the test some more, too. Yes. And he has to think, so they need to leave. First of all, he's not in the family room, so why don't they just... Well, I think it's because they were told to go watch TV upstairs. That's why, I mean, you know, they're good kids. And so they're doing what they were told. And he finally bribes them from his box of candy (laughs) bars. box of candy bars. And he explains, you know, why he has them because people are giving him stuff. Bobby says something like, maybe... You can even get good grades. Peter gets an idea and he, and for it, a very special column. Yes, he starts typing. And then time goes by. You can tell they do a time he goes by thing. And Greg comes in. Greg's like, you know, let me read your column. And he just starts laughing uproariously at the column. Yes, because apparently Peter's written an effusive column about Mr. Price comparing him to Washington and Lincoln. <laughs> and Greg just thinks... Who were great scientists. And Greg goes into the girls' room where they're playing a little more with the puppet. Jana's chiding Marsha that she can still see her lips move. (laughs) (laughs) Greg brings the column with him, and they all start reading it and laughing. And then Mike barges in. Yeah, Mike wants to tell Greg to mow the lawn. And he's like, well, what's so funny? Right, because he has to know everything. He has to know everything. And Greg's like, oh, it's Pete's column. And Mike says, oh, we've got an Art Buckwald in the family. Yes. And some of you younger people may not remember, but Art Buckwald was a columnist, I think for the... New York Times, possibly, but he was world famous. Yeah, he was syndicated. He was on so. TV. Everybody knew who he was. Yes. He was in every newspaper. And he was a humorist. Humorist, I guess they would call him. Yeah, he wrote about politics, but in a funny way. In a humorist. I, what you know what was funny cons- was, remember Irma Bombeck? Yes. She was pretty funny, too. She was. And she actually lived near we did in Dayton, Ohio, when she started. She started for the Dayton Journal-Herald. Wow. Yeah, and she was world famous and wrote a book like the grass is always greener over the, the septic, septic tank. tank. But yeah. she has some other ones too. So Mike is like reading the column. He's like, I don't think it's funny. And they're like, Well, you don't know Mr. Price. Yeah, because he's really dull. Well, I guess dull also equates with not being a good teacher. Well, I think they say he's an he's an okay teacher, but I mean, he's he uses just a really lot of Latin. Mm-hmm. The, the only kid it's who, fucking science. The only kid who laughed at his jokes in Latin was an Italian kid. So and I guess Mike thought that was funny. Yes, yeah, so I guess Italian and Latin are very similar. Greg tells the girls that there has to be some reason right. for this column. Right. Duh! One of the issues with this show is it takes a while for everybody to kind yeah, of figure yeah. out what's going on. Meanwhile, in the kitchen, Carol's rummaging through Pete's jacket pocket. Well, maybe she's hoping to find some stupidly, cigarettes. <laughs> I know. He stupidly left on a kitchen chair, and she finds the test with the D. And, and Alice says, D sure doesn't stand for dandy. No, it doesn't. <laughs> and Carol kind of gives her one of her, oh, Alice, looks. But next, we're in the study. And... Carol's like saying to Mike, no wonder Pete was so evasive about yes, the test. Yes, and like he didn't study. And Mike's a little confused. He goes, you know, it's ironic because he wrote this column about Mr. Price that, you know, a whole column about him saying how great he was. And Carol's like, well, yeah, and then he got the bad grade. And Mike goes, no, he wrote it, no, no, he he wrote wrote it after, after he, he got did. the bad grade. So things really happen at a and breakneck. And Mike says... He made him sound like a combination of Albert Einstein and Albert Schweitzer. Which means wicked smart and wicked giving. Yeah. Yes. And all of a sudden, the light bulb flickers to life over Mike's head, and Mike realizes maybe what was going on. So he heads up to the boys' room to... For a lecture. Kind of a lecture. Heart to heart lecture. It's his his kind of disappointed, compassionate lecture. He goes... 
we wouldn't have minded the D so much if we thought you'd done your very best. And Pete looks very chastened. I and mean, Chris Knight actually does a good job in this yeah, scene. Poor Peter. Yeah. And uh, Mike wants to know if the column was just a snow job. Was it the whole truth? <laughs> or was it a snow Gee, job? Gee, I don't know. And Mike says to Pete, now here's the lecture part, son, there's a thing called power of the press. And with use of that power comes responsibility. And good journalists don't write just to get a reward. That's not honest. It's true. It is true. Mike is right. Tell that to some of the... Anyway. Mm. But Peter says, well, I already turned in the column, so what should I do? And Mike's like, you'll think of something. You'll think of what to do. And Pete... As we know from three seasons of the Brady Bunch, the is the eat shit boy where he has to constantly go eat shit for his stupid mistakes. Well, he needs to learn mistakes. From his mistakes. Well, he doesn't. And the next scene we see is Mr. Price's room again. Where Pete's three hours early for class. Well, you know. And, and Mr. Price is there, which is like, I wouldn't fucking be there. Well, rough. he's getting, you know, it's finals time. Oh, that's And yeah, I'm, I am concerned with the timing stuff. It, apparently the paper is a daily, so mm-hmm. Pete's grades are going to suffer. But Pete does not do a great job of really letting Mr. Price know what the problem is. He and finally tells him, yeah, my column exaggerated a little bit. And mm-hmm. Mr. Price is like, yeah, I read it already. Yeah, he has it in his drawer because apparently they fact check. Or something. If somebody's writing about a teacher, they give... Well, they should. Well, yeah, I guess they should. And Mr. Price says it basically was a soft soap job, and Peter's like, no, it was a snow job. (laughs) Same difference. And then they kind of have a heart-to-heart. Yeah, and Mr. Price gets a little introspective, and he goes... He's a little, I guess, disappointed that kids think he's dull. And he says... Perhaps we've both learned something. Because as we know, the most important thing... On the Brady Bunch is to learn something. Then Pete asks about his final grade. And Mr. Price says, you'll get exactly what you deserve. Mm. Which, yeah. Yes. And then we're in the study and Pete's telling Mike what happened. Mike's very proud of him. Yes, Peter's like, I'm not going to accept any more gifts. No more bribes. And Pete says, and I feel a lot better. And Mike goes, well, I feel better too. And Peter says, remember that when the grades come. Yeah. <laughs> and then he goes skipping out in his way that, you know, he, the kid is never going to get a fucking good grade in his life. Well, you know, we can't, everybody can't be smart. Yes. Nobody would be smart because there would be no one to compare right. to. That's true. And then in the bedroom, this is the tag. Yes. Mike is signing report cards. Because Apparently that's the man's job. Yeah. And did you write down the tally? There were 12 A's. Oh, I did not 19 write that down. B's and 7 C's. Oh, well. Then we have. <laughs> then <laughs> Mike keeps giving Carol kisses and she's just grading, grading them a well, C. Well, the first one is a C. And um, that he wants his, a chance to improve his grade. <laughs> and then it's a B. And then he Then looks, he just like... Gets on top Mounts of her. her. <laughs> Although it looks like they're not really kissing. They're just making you out. You can't see. Well. And yeah, they start making out. Yeah. So. It's nice that they At do least that. they have a sex And life. so that's that episode. So in this one we have Sergeant Emma, or as I like to subtitle it, Alice's Revenge. <laughs> <laughs> and we're in the family room and Alice is wearing her coat so we know she's going somewhere. Yes, she's crying. Now, in L.A., do they wear coats? I uh, guess. Yes, they do. Okay. All the hipsters do. Like, I'm always seeing in People magazine. Well, they wear, like, knit hats and Yeah, scarves. knit hats and scarves and gloves and stuff. And I'm like, is it really that cold, I don't know how cold people? it gets there. 
So she's crying because she's leaving for a fucking week. Yes, on a vacation. And she goes, it's going to seem like a year. And her cousin Emma, she tells them, is coming to fill in. And they're going to love her. They're going to. I think they already her. knew, but she remarks yes, on yes, that they're going to love yes. her. And my thought is, and I know this is a point of disagreement you and I have, that it's a week they're eight people, some of whom are almost young adults. They can't fucking take care of the house and make that their own meals. That wasn't my disagreement. My disagreement... I can't remember what okay. my disagreement right. was. Okay. It was more that Alice is their employee. She's the housekeeper. Right. Uh, so that uh, comes later. That maybe. Yeah. So then we see there's kind of this military marching music, and somebody's marching through the yard. She Who picks looks kind of like Alice. Yeah, but a lot not. like Alice. Her hair is different, and she has lipstick on. Part of it is, you know, the way they make Alice look on the show isn't flattering. No. And you can see with her portrayal, because spoiler alert, she plays Cousin Emma, yes. too. Ambie Davis. Who, who actually does have an identical twin sister in she real does. life, but that wasn't her. Right. But... You can see that she's actually an attractive woman. I always have said Yes, that. and they, you know, made her unattractive. She's, you know, so she comes to the yard picking stuff up. And Alice is like, there she is now. And then they have that split screen thing that always bugs me. Yes, when they're talking to... One of the portrayals, one actor playing twins or lookalikes or whatever you want to call them, that didn't bug me that much, that they did a good job, was the social network. Yes, it was. The oh, I Army were, Hammer. Oh, what? I thought you were going to say. The oh. Patty Duke Show? No. No. But they're cousins. But, which which actually, Sergeant Emma is Alice's identical cousin. They're not really identical. They're not really. They older. could be. No. Uh, what's the movie? What's your genre? Oh, that one. <laughs> Nicholas Cage. I forgot about that one. I like that one, too. Oh, oh God. But I they weren't. Yeah. That was it's one word, one word movie, famous movie. Oh, Marister. adaptation. Yes, but Emma they, is very business. Well, Carol and Carol's says in kind of this ha ha apologetic way, yeah, there's six more of us to meet. Ha ha. And Emma's like, good. The more there are, the better. I like it. And then Sam honks for Alice, like he can't freaking come to the door. So apparently he's driving her to the airport. He's not even going on this mysterious vacation. I wonder where she's going. Unless yeah. maybe he is. Maybe, maybe he's going. No, she to said the... he's driving me. Yeah, to the... but maybe that's what she told oh, them. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And then Emma tells them she was in the Wax, which, as we know, is the Women's Army Corps yes. for 20 years, and she mustered out as a master sergeant. And she ran the mess hall. Yes. She reminded me of, I worked with a woman who had been in the Army. She went up to the rank of colonel, and then she retired, and then she joined the Navy. Mm. And I can't remember what rank she She must have gotten a hell of a pension. I don't know. She went by the name Lou. Her name was Mary Lou or something. She was very, one of those women that was very... Um, Gung-ho. Yeah. She, and she was very similar to Emma, actually. Yes. She's a very business-like... Yep. Yes. Wonderful person. And she she had a twin brother who was, she told me, was a lazy slob and couldn't <laughs> do anything. <laughs> it was oh, kind of funny. the opposite of me and Billy. You're not a lazy slob. I, I'm a slob. Yeah. The other thing was she well Billy she had a, a she had a girlfriend but this woman we worked with who was a super religious was like that's just her roommate yeah. she was like, sure yeah back in the old days before they talked about lesbianism that used to be called a Boston marriage ah, when two yes. women um were partners what about two men I don't think there was a name for that. Hmm. Illegal, I think it was. Oh, yeah. Anyway, so Emma, yes, Emma's Bobby and Cindy running, screaming. Yeah. Like, they, anytime somebody outside of the family is in that house. They act like rude little jerks, and nobody's introduced. Nobody says, hey, this is Bobby and Cindy. Oh, no one says, do Emma. you two mind? We've right. got company here. And 
And Emma, with no prompting at all, marches them, makes them march to the door to close it. They apparently didn't close the glassless <laughs> sliding door. And then she tells Mike and Carol, it's just a question of control. And Cindy's skirt is, like, super short. Yes. It's like, what the fuck? She's getting a little too old for the baby doll underwear peak skirts. It's not like it's a mini skirt. It's like a baby doll. But Mike dress. and Carol aren't concerned about that. No. They're a little more concerned about Emma's reaction to the kids, and they look a little perturbed. Well, that's well, what they, they look get. worried. I think they're wondering what the week has in yeah, store. Yeah, well, for they'll them. find out because the next morning it's still dark. Everyone's sleeping, and suddenly a whistle pierces their sleep. Right, and everybody's like, "Oh, what's that? What's that?" And I'm like, "Don't they fucking remember the fire drill?" Now, if the house was burning and that was a fire alarm they'd all die because you'll have seconds to get out of the house they don't remember from episode to episode we've discussed (laughs) before i know they have they go blank their minds are blank slate it's emma whistling and she's like everyone in the yard 15 minutes for calisthenics which isn't necessarily a bad idea yeah i wish somebody would boot my ass up well i know me too and i think if we all started our day with some calisthenics before breakfast then we'd be in better shape and they're doing jumping jacks, and they're all horrible at it. And we know some of these kids are athletes. I know this. And dancers and stuff. So how come they're so horrible at jumping jacks? But Mike and Carol are watching from the window. Because yes, she didn't include them in her. No. And Mike likes it. Yeah, well, yeah, Mike says she really has the kids hustling, and he looks kind of satisfied with that. And Carol says, oh, don't you think it might be too much for the kids? And Mike poo-poos her the way he does. When Carol has a concern, until it's Mike's concern, too, he just poo-poos well, and brushes yeah, her off. pretty realistic, actually. Right, and then when he has the concern, he's the first well, one who ever had it. Not that we've ever had that very experience realistic. in our life. And then they show <laughs> Emma inspecting their quarters, she says. And well, I, first of all, though, I want to say... Because they, they're they doing the calisthenics, and then she wants them to go clean the rooms and stuff before breakfast. Who's making breakfast? Maybe she's going to make okay. it. Okay. But maybe she got up even earlier than them and had breakfast ready, and it's like mess hall style being kept warm or whatever. I okay. Don't know. That isn't like, supported by any of the... Uh, yeah, whatever. So she's inspecting <laughs> their quarters, trying to bounce quarter and on the bed. And you know what I remember from this? You know what I remembered watching that? That we... When we, we after tried. we watched this, we tried to do that. This it probably was the only t- or some other military show. It's probably the only time we ever made our beds. No, yeah. I remember specifically from this. She does a white glove test in the girls' room, and I'm like, isn't she supposed to be the one cleaning? Yeah, dusting. Either that or Alice was supposed to, so she's actually saying her cousin sucks at housekeeping. And that reminded me of on the Mary Tyler Moore show, and I think the episode would have been around the same time this was, where Mary's father, who was a doctor, came to visit, and he was doing that <laughs> and checking for dust above the door jams and stuff. My boss does it at my job all the time, but it's like, you know what? I don't give a shit. So then we see Mike coming home, and Carol is sitting forlornly on the living room stairs. She's not even sitting, like, on the couch or anything. No, she's sitting on the landing, like, we're going into the den at the bottom of the steps. Yeah, so Mike knows something's wrong, and Carol says, Emma's being awfully hard on the kids. Mike is amused by that. He doesn't, he's not too worried about it. He says she's just one of those people who everything has to be really organized. And he actually, like, she has a duty roster for the kids, which he likes. Well, first Carol says, well, 
she's organized me right out of my kitchen. And I'm like, well, why do you have a fucking housekeeper? No you can either shit. be in the kitchen or you can be out of the kitchen. If I had a housekeeper that wanted to cook, then they could cook. I mean, I don't mind cooking and I'm not but, a bad cook, but I, I, right. I can it's do like, other shit. It's like, what is shit. she supposed nice to, to be doing? prepared for you. Right. She's supposed to be cooking the meals. It's not that big a kitchen. Like Carol, get a fucking life. Right. And uh, Mike likes the duty roster. Yeah, which Carol's also very concerned about it. a little discipline can't hurt. But I'm like, as far as the duty roster goes, hey, Carol, a lot of families have lists of jobs kids have to do. They have job wheels. They have They one. have job charts. Yeah. They have duty rosters. We, I can't remember what we called ours when we, we had were kids. a chart, but we had several different methods. Remember, we had that yeah. point system. We had all sorts of stuff that obviously didn't work. But I also remember, like, I can remember Saturday morning, our friends waiting outside on our front porch for us to come out and play, and we couldn't go out. I remember, for instance, cleaning the yeah. upstairs bathroom. We had to have jobs we had and to we, do. And we yeah. had jobs we had to do before we could go out and play. And remember, that cellar what a mess it was and it would take us all day i can remember we'd have like casey Kasem's top 40 on the radio and we'd be down there like playing and stuff trying to clean the cellar and about there were jobs we were supposed to do it's yeah. but carol acts like it's child abuse or something but mike doesn't see anything wrong and with carol it. says wait till dinner time yeah then you will see how you feel about which it. i don't i don't actually know what she means by that yeah well it looks like what dinner time is is a buffet style KP meal style time. and she has funny names for the food but it looks pretty good she has okay. like eisenhower cooks it eisenhower potatoes Yum. and pentagon succotash <laughs> and the kids are and she says well who has kp duty and jen's like i guess i do and she goes well you should serve yourself first and so they're serving themselves buffet style which news to carol if you have a big family it's almost easier to do that then have i think what they well easier to do that for who though yes when yeah. alice serves them Later in the family room. They're playing Mahjong. Mahjong again. Greg and Marsha stalk in. Yes. And they tell Mike and Carol they're fed up. And Mike and Carol defend Emma. Mm-hmm. They're like, there's nothing wrong with a little exercise or whatever. And... Emma comes and overhears. And wasn't your memory of this as Well, I didn't remember much about it, but I so I didn't remember what happened, but yes, I thought that Emma was going to overhear and get uh, like hurt feelings. That's but, what which I, doesn't happen, which I was glad that it wasn't I'm, that predictable. I'm, gl- I'm glad it wasn't that predictable either, but I also thought that's what was going to happen because it's funny seeing this episode which I haven't seen since it was originally yeah, on. I, probably I don't think seen it. I remember there was something about it that made me feel bad and it happens later. Yeah, it so happens later. But Emma decides that Mike and Carol should be exercising. They think it's a good idea. Right. So the next morning, join in. Yeah, the next morning they're out there and everybody's doing the worst push-ups I've ever seen. Carol's are the worst. Yes. And maybe they're supposed to be bad, but I mean, she I, can't even get her midsection right. off the Greg ground. Greg looks like he's doing okay. Mike looked okay too. too. But. And then it shows the next morning. So we're like midway through her stay here and they're running. Yeah. Carol's in a sweater and bell bottoms. Mike's wearing jeans. <laughs> well, she's the one that wore pantsuit camp. So, and you know. I know it's before the jogging craze. Um, there were people that did it. Though. There were people, but I remember like Joan Benoit, the great, the first woman the to win marathon. an Olympic marathon. The one that was stalking me. Yeah, she I'll have to tell you. But that. she's from Cape Elizabeth, Maine, near where we live. But she talked about how when she used to go running as a young teen, which would have been around this time, when cars would come by. 
she'd stop and act like she was picking flowers and stuff because she was embarrassed People to be out running. So. I saw her running once. Once when I was, um, she lives in Freeport, and I had a class. It was a landscape drawing class up there. It was near her home because I was stalking her. Yes. You know. There was a guy running, this guy running, and he's like, uh, like, you know, you know how some people look like they're just like barely like. Yeah, like me. Yeah. So he's running, and then she comes running down the road and passes passes him and when she runs she looks just like a little like she's a tiny yeah, woman she's a little machine she just like and she's just going light on her feet just goes right past him and he's just kind of like uh yeah and i'd like to recommend for anyone who wants a few minutes of inspiration you can find it on youtube her winning the 1984 marathon which was in la First and time they had women they because, allowed women right, to they run. thought women couldn't run marathons because they thought their uteruses would fall out or something and she had had an injury training and it wasn't even certain she was going to run she had a knee injury and you watch that and i get chills talking about she runs into the los angeles coliseum which is a hundred thousand plus people and she's this tiny little and she was in her 20s at the time it running in and the crowd just goes nuts and it's really cool find it on youtube it's just really well the reason i said she was stalking me because (laughs) because there were three times now she's suing you (laughs) there were three times in one week where i went somewhere like then she showed up like at my bank i can't remember there were three different times and i told my my husband at the time i'm like joan benoit is stalking me Mm -hmm. which he of course thought was and that's one of the times he he, he had you committed. <laughs> Just because I was like following her and that's why she was there. But, but anyway. In any case, ahead. I don't know how far they ran and they weren't running very strenuously. And it looked like one of the close-ups, it looked like Susan Olsen. I mean, she was flushing. It looked like they were really running yeah, around, they around they the streets. Them... But they get home and they all collapse on but the But Susan Olsen was, wasn't actually doing that bad compared to some of the other ones. No, no, she wasn't. But she was little. Well, you know, little kids, they can just... But they they all come home and collapse on the AstroTurf. Yes. And I'm thinking, again, they need Cousin Emma because they're obviously out of shape. They're, well, they're what do soft. They do a gym class? Right. They're soft, out of shape. And they're kids in the 70s. When we were kids, even though we spent a lot of time watching TV, we also spent a lot of time playing outside. Yeah, we did. And everything involved running around. When you yeah. think of our games, you know, kick we the can. We did kick the can. Oh, because we were talking about hopscotch. Because Mom had been out and saw a hopscotch thing chalked onto a sidewalk. And she said it made her so happy that kids still go out and play hopscotch. And I said, when I used to go running, whenever I saw a hopscotch thing, I would do the mm-hmm. hop. But all the games we played as kids involved constant physical activity. Yeah. And so you would think these kids, too, would be in better shape, but they are Especially because they're all, like we were saying, they're all supposedly athletes, judging by all their trophies. Yes. So it's the evening. Mike and Carol are... They're lying prone on their beds in their robes, and Marsha and Greg come in. Um, They want to get rid of Emma. Right. They have a proposal that they will do all the housework. They'll get up at 6 in the morning and do the housework. They'll come home right after school and do the housework, because apparently there's a lot of housework if we can just get rid of Emma. And at this point, we know that it's been at least like three mornings. It's at least three days, yeah. So they're halfway through. I I would say even four, because there were like two of the kids doing the calisthenics by themselves, then the one where the adults had to, and then the next... Next day, she's running. So Mike says, well, it's not so simple because she is Alice's cousin. We don't want to hurt Alice's family. And the kids agree with that. And they're like, well, can't she, maybe she can get a three-day pass. Yeah, let's give her like some days army. off. So they propose that to Emma, and she says, I never took them. I wasn't a gold bricker in the army, and I'm not going to be a gold and bricker also, now. And also, realistically, she's only there for a fucking week. I know. Why? If I were her, I'd smell a rat. But Marsha's like, I don't think I can 
to have it anymore. Oh, God, Marcia. You know, the, the nice thing about Emma, though, is she's not... She, she's very straightforward. She assumes that they're enjoying it. Yeah, that plays into why I feel bad later. Marsha and Greg thinks there has to be something they can do. Anytime on this show when somebody says there must be something we can do, you know there's going to be a problem. It's trickery time. And they show a scene in the boys' room where Greg is pacing and scheming. The and kids are conspiring. They're all, all six huddled of them. together. Yeah. Then Marsha takes Jan and Peter, and Greg takes Bobby and Cindy, and they say, okay, here's how it's going to work. And, and we don't hear what's going to do one happen. of those things where they huddle. Yeah. So we see Bobby and Cindy acting furtive around in the, the kitchen. In the kitchen. And they have a little cute the little cute little that he mouse. got from, from Benji. Yes. And they talk about how they knew how Alice was afraid of the mouse. So obviously her cousin Emma will be afraid of the mouse. So they put him in the Waste and then and they start screaming. And Emma, Emma, Emma. It's a rat. They say it's a rat. A big <laughs> And Emma finds it and she's not scared at all. She goes, oh, look at the little fella. And she's like, oh, he's cute. You should make a pet out of him. And she just hands it to him. And she says, good soldiers aren't afraid of anything. And then she leaves and Bobby In says. In your face, Bobby and Cindy. Bobby says, we're going to need King Kong to scare yeah. her. And I'm very glad their trickery backfired. Well, what would the mouse have done i think that they want to leave i think that was probably the point Mm. but we never really and again it was a white mouse yes so so she would probably know someone's pet and then she's in the family room dusting and singing the marine corps (laughs) you know over hill over tail and peter and chan come in and they try to convince her she looks sick they leave greg and marcia come in yeah they tell her she has glazed eyes i know (laughs) and she's all flushed and then she's all white and everything trying to convince her she's sick and she says it's because she's not exercising enough so, so they need to have she's getting up. soft right she's, <laughs> remember when dad used to have that marine corps was it the marine corps the air force oh, the air exercises he do every morning <laughs> i just remember he was him doing push-ups in and his we underwear like, well i just remember we get on his we back, would get on his back. <laughs> <laughs> poor dad it's not like he's a big strong guy i know either. there's a montage of emma showing like how to how like to, for instance bobby's folding his shirt in the L.L. Bean <laughs> folding way that now is imprinted on my mouth. Not that I fold my clothes that way, but once you learn, once you have a whole training session. Oh, believe me, I've worked in many clothing uh-huh. stores. I remember And she's clothing. showing a very annoyed-looking Mike how to roll his socks correctly. And I think what Mike is thinking is, hey, bitch, I don't put away my laundry. Either the maid or my wife does That's it. That's right. You know, and we once again see the doghouse because they're yeah. r- they're doing they're doing crab walks, <laughs> crab walks in the backyard, and they're going around the doghouse, which you think they just get rid of since there's obviously <laughs> tigers, dog. dead skeleton is dead skeleton, yes. tigers rotting <laughs> right. corpse has corpses been in, in there. there. In the next morning, six a.m., Mike and Carol wake up and it's time to exercise, but they're happy because it's the day Alice is coming back. And they decide, you know, they're so grateful Alice is coming back that they should throw her a party. Carol says she'll have Greg pick up a cake on the way home from school. See, after school. Right, they're in the kitchen. Marsha's wearing the turtleneck mustard yellow poncho. Like and Greg's got, his, of course, his favorite striped shirt. shirt on. Emma comes out and they're looking at the cake, which is a good-looking cake, and she thinks the cake's for her. For her going away party. For her going away party, and they look annoyed by that. But and they do humor her. Because how can you... This is what started bothering me, and I think it's what bothered me 
when I was a kid. They're so ungrateful. This woman has taken a week out of her life. She's not mean. No. She just has a certain way of doing things. They're obviously incapable of cleaning their own house or (laughs) doing any kind of exercise. It would have been nice at this part if they say... Instead of being asked, instead of looking like, oh shit, she's ruining our party, yeah. now we have to give her Alice's cake, if somebody had said, you know, her heart was in the right place, and actually it was probably good for us to do all that stuff. I know, it was they, just a week. They, and they never come to that realization. No, they don't. And they could have had a welcome home, goodbye Emma party, because Alice, they're having the party, well, we'll get to that in a second. Okay. They're in the living room area, eating, eating the cake, cake and which she, looked good too. I love bakery cake. I know, I love cake. Mm. And she gets up to make a speech, and she says it was the nicest thing that ever happened to her. She was very lonely. The army's been very lonely. It's a lonely life in the army. You're moving around all the time. And she cries. She gets emotional. And she says, if I could give you all a good conduct oak leaf cluster, I would. And they still aren't. (laughs) They're not even moved by this. I know. They're not even moved. And then Alice comes in and they all rush her and are hugging her and and say how great she is. And Alice is good. Next time she goes away, Emma can come back. And they're they're all... They're all like, uh... Yeah, and Alice says, I'm glad you've seen how special she is. And Mike goes, oh, she's special all right. And it's like, you ungrateful asshole. You know that? And it made made me feel bad. And then the tag. Poor Alice. 6 a.m. They're in their beds. They hear a whistle. They're like, what? It still doesn't occur to them that maybe the house is burning down. No, because the fire, that was just that one thing. It's just like, why isn't Greg working for Sam anymore? That's true. Everybody wakes up and they're at the top of the stairs. And and Alice, Alice. Right. And she says, Emma left the whistle. And then she starts saying, and she also left me the list, and she's looking at the list and going through it, and one by one they drift away and go back to they bed. They kind of wave her away. And and she says, Emma told me that you loved it. Yeah. And this is And they I'm, just kind of just wander like, away. You. They wander away and go back to bed because they have no respect for Alice. And Poor that's Alice. the end of the show. So Cindy Brady Lady. Lady. Listeners, a lot of this is going to be very familiar territory. Yeah, it's the same yeah. plot that we've had many times. So... Jan is doing her hair, and we get a little bit of crazy Jan here because it's just a bizarre <laughs> She's hair. putting her hair up, but Cindy's watching And her. she says to Cindy, don't you think I look exotic? And <laughs> she looks crazy. Um, and Cindy's like, well, I want to do it. And Jan goes, well, it would look silly on you. You're still a child. And Cindy's just like, fuck yeah. you. <laughs> so then we're down in the family room, and Marsha's on the phone. With a boy. Playing the rules. Playing the rules. She was Marcia wrote the rules, baby. Yeah, she's playing a little hard to get, and Cindy's listening in admiration. So she's making dates. She made a date with... It seems like she made at least two dates in this scene or yes, something. Yes, and Cindy... Cindy's listening. And right, listening. and Cindy wants and Cindy wants to ask a boy to call her, and Marcia says, you don't ask a boy to call, you get a boy That's to call. That's right. And Marcia's like, you're too young, you're just a baby. She says, children don't go out on dates. And here we go again, the kid is too little, too young, too whatever, and didn't we just see this like yes. last time? Bobby and Cindy, it happens all the time. Yes. Cindy lays on her bed and she grabs <laughs> Kitty Carryall and yells in her face, I'll show them. <laughs> From now on, I'm going to be an older woman. <laughs> and then the next time we see her, she has a Jean Benet hairstyle that actually doesn't look too bad. I know, she looks good with her hair down. And what it's the like, fuck? And it's like, if Cindy can do that with her hair, then I think they're underestimating yeah. her. But she's wearing a dress of Carol's and she's in Carol's <laughs> shoes. And Mike and Carol, uh, and Cindy says she's matured. And she tells Mike and Carol she wants to do stuff like Jan and Marsha. 
And because they always have boys calling them and boys going out on dates, and Mike says, well, everyone who has two older sisters feels that way. And I had to think that you who have two older oh, sisters yeah. may not have since boys didn't call us and well, we didn't go on dates. They never called me either. Yeah. They suck. But you weren't sitting there watching us go out on dates like No. Martin. No. No, we yes. don't want to. Well, Liz went on a couple, but ugh, bah, there were some losers. Wow. And then a guy who, who um, when Liz was 16, a guy who worked with Dad at the paper in his 30s asked Dad if he could ask her, ask Gross. Liz out. Uh, yeah. And Mike tells her in his Mike voice, you're trying to be your sister's age and not your own age. And Cindy says, well, I want to be a teenager now. Yeah. And then we're in Alice's right. room. And they haven't humiliated Alice in a while. No. So instead of Alice giving Cindy really good advice, Alice says, it's funny, you want to be older, I want to be younger. Cindy says, no matter what she does, she's still too little to do anything. And Alice says, well, you can't fight nature. No. But then Alice is like, look, I'm trying to fight nature. Yeah. And she shows she her puts up. all this different glop on her face and then and puts then this chin, chin strap thing. thing on. And it's very clownish. <laughs> I like this next scene. Yeah, Greg and Mike are working on the car and looking very happy and, to be doing a manly thing and, together. And Cindy comes out and she wants to know what the word idiosyncrasy means, which Mike defines it for her. And, and he's Greg's like, like why, why do you... doesn't yeah. seem like a children's book. And she goes, book. I happen to be reading A Farewell to Arms. <laughs> Because Marsha's reading it, so Cindy figures she can read it. And Greg says, you should stick with The Wizard of Oz or Alice in Wonderland, which both of those books are kind of, I guess a not a eight or nine year old yeah. could read them, but they're not they're not yeah. like baby baby. My books. issue is that Hemingway sucks, and Cindy's wasting her time. I know she wants I didn't to read. Like, they were, Hemingway and John Steinbeck are the two that they fucking force feed you from the time you're a freshman in high school, and I don't I understand it. I know. I don't. I, I don't I get it. I know. Anyways, and so Greg later feels bad after Mike explains that she's just upset that she's not as old as her sisters, and so Greg invites her to a track meet. She says, <laughs> I don't want to go to something with my brother. And and Pete comes and invites her to a hike, and Greg says, Cindy doesn't date her own brother. <laughs> and Pete's like, oh, okay, whatever. That's like, it's really weird. weird. I know. Like, it's weird. It was a weird way to put it. I know. And it's like, you know, if Pete was on the ball, he would have said, well, we don't live in... They show a living room, and it's weird because the phone is in a new spot. Did you notice yes, that? Yes, I did. Or the angle, camera angle's different. And the phone rings, and Cindy answers, it's Doug looking for Marsha. And Marsha's at home, and Cindy very politely and maturely, by the way, takes a message. She does, but then she says, hey, Doug. This is Cynthia, Marsha's sister. Cynthia. She still has her little lisp. And I have to say this has disturbing overtones. Yes. And she says, if you can get a (laughs) (laughs) if you have a friend, we can double date. Yeah. And And Carol Carol comes uh, in and puts the kibosh on that. And she says, remember what I told you about (laughs) acting right? And I found this ironic because they treat her like she's freaking three. They dress her like she's three. And she has a three-year-old's hairstyle. I know. I mean, one of the things to look more mature is get rid of that fucking baby hairstyle. It's almost they're like gaslighting her. And she wants to go from eight to 15. So, well, no wonder she's upset because in the teeter-totter episode, she was nine and a half. And now she's back to being eight. So she's actually <laughs> losing her. She runs up the stairs as usual. But Alice has mail for Cindy. Mm. It's a note from a secret admirer mm. and a candy bar. Ooh. Which Cindy, ch- she wonders who it is. She chows it right yeah, down. she does. No one ever gave me candy I bar. Know. I'm trying to remember if I ever got candy from a boy at all. 
The only candy I ever get is from people that want something from yes. me. Like I get well, candy. That's what boys want. Oh yeah, but I mean at Christmas time I get candy from from I like remember, vendors. I remember one year, mom got me a nice big or Santa <laughs> got me a nice big Ch- Russell Stover's like chocolate selection because I used to oh, love yeah. those. And I had strep throat and I had all these canker sores in my Ew. mouth. And I can and it was on Christmas. They took me to see Doctor. And he was, yeah. he was a total asshole. He was a total asshole. I used to get stuff But I, I remember trying to eat the candy because <laughs> I wanted it so bad, but I had all these canker sores in my mouth. I had to go to our brother's house with his family for Christmas one day. It was Christmas Day, and I hadn't mm-hmm. gotten them anything. I went to CVS, <laughs> and they had those, like, I think it's a five-pound box. Mm. It was like 20 bucks. I bet they inhaled They probably that. liked it. Yeah. I figured, who doesn't like candy? I do. In I, fact, you I'd know like what ones right are now. gross, though? Those Let's shut this thing down and go get those candy. jelly ones it's like what the jelly there's some that you are mean like the chocolates a, with the jellies inside yeah they're gross yeah i think there's gross, some definitely. that aren't even jelly it's like a gelatin well, like a like a hard thing I like, it's like who makes those and why i like the ones that have the little graphic on the bottom yes. of the lid so you can see what's what so you don't have to take school. little bites yeah, out of anyway them. we got off track yeah, really did. bad <laughs> so mike comes in with flowers that look like they were yanked out of somebody's front yard and carol's like oh yeah me flowers and he goes no they're for cindy from her secret admirer they found him on the front steps and nobody is concerned no. nobody's afraid that it's a pedophile grooming her mr Dittmeyer. especially after she <laughs> came out of dug like that <laughs> and she gets a hair ribbon with a note then peter comes running in and it's another present for her and fake it's, diamond it's the world's ugliest ring it's cute. and carol says I do think it's an engagement ring. And she doesn't say it with any, like, it's like she wants it to be, which is disturbing. I know. And then she gets another no, and Jan, in her half-crazy way, says, he's really flipped over you. Well, Cindy won't let them read the note. She makes him leave, and then she reads Reads the note. And it's, I think of your face and awful cute dimples from head to toe and get goose pimples. <laughs> now, I don't know if he gets goose think, pimples from head to toe or the dimples. He's thinking well, of dimples. Well, if they're talking about me, I'd have from dimples because they're yeah. fat dimples. Yeah. But. And then there's a phone call for Cindy. And Jana Marsh are snickering. And he says, I called. And we just at first see the side of his cheek. And he goes, I called because I wanted to hear your voice. Which is creepy. Yes. and But it turns out it's Bobby. Don't they ever no, learn? They don't. No, Do they, they don't. never no, learn no, in this no. family? And so Cindy says, I want to meet you. It reminds me of, you know what show I saw the other night on um, Netflix or one of them was that one. Um, I'd never seen it before. Catfish. Oh, yeah. Yeah, and I started I to, to get watch sucked that. into it. It is. And people are so stupid and gullible. Oh, my God. I know. The first girl was just like, it was like, he says he's a male model, and he's studying to be in a, I don't know, he had all this yeah, stuff. Yeah, right. It's like. It's like, yeah, sure. But, anyway. but anyway, the guy on the phone, who we know is Bobby, says, well, the only time I could see you is at three tomorrow, and I know you have your ballet lesson. And she's like, wait, how do you know I am my ballet lesson? And I'm like, stalker. stalking you, you idiot. And then he says, because my sister does it at the same time. And so. You'd think she would say, oh, maybe your sister's in my class. But no, that's not. She doesn't no, even it, go there. Oh, well, my, my ballet teacher's sick, so you can come over. Yeah, And, and I'll see you then. I'll see you at three. And then Bobby says, all this trouble I went through just to get myself into trouble. Poor Bobby. Poor Bobby. He was just trying to be nice to his sister. It's nighttime. Bobby wakes up, and he's writing in a notebook. There's like a voiceover, so we know he's writing a note, canceling their date because his family's moving to Europe. Yeah, it's a kind of Dear John letter. And I'm thinking at this point, 
Well, in previous episodes, they bribed people to date people and stuff, so can't he just do that? Yeah. And he sneaks downstairs to put the note in the front door, and or he's trying to, but it doesn't work. So he opens the door, he gets locked out. Yeah, as we and knew And so it would Mike happen. and Carol hear it, and Mike comes down. And they discover Bobby's the secret admirer, yeah. and it's time lecture for lecture time. Yes. Mike says, you're giving her the impression you're her boyfriend, and you're only building her up to let her down, and she was going to find out sooner or later. Yeah. I'm like, come on, and Mike he, and Carol. I know, you I know. yourselves have engaged in this yes. kind of behavior. So he says, tomorrow you've got to tell her the truth. Yeah. And the next morning, they're in the boys' room, and Bobby is lagging behind, and he asks Greg and Peter, what do you do when you have to do something you don't want to? And they say, just do it fast, like pulling off the Band-Aid. And meanwhile, the girls are saying to Cindy, oh, you must be really excited about your date. And I'm like, does no one suspect that this is all a little weird? You'd think Jan would think Cindy was doing it to herself. Yeah, I know, because Jan has, right? They leave, and Bobby comes in, and he's about to... Well, he doesn't he, do a very good job. No. Like, he's backing into it like people do when they don't have the balls to well, speak clearly. Little, he doesn't have balls. He goes... Well, I mean, he has balls. But. I'm just saying. Because he's like, I write poems, too. And Cindy's like, well, you know, not as good as my secret admirer. Mm-hmm. And Bobby says something else. And she goes, you know, my secret admirer is much older, man. He's like at least 13. Ew. Yeah, I know. Mm-hmm. And Bobby chickens out from telling her. And I'm like, come on, you're a Brady. You must be able to come up with something wow. here. He's Bobby. And he, and he does. They're at school. It's after school. And this kid, Tommy, is getting his bike. And Bobby and, calls and to him. Can I just say, yes. Tommy is played by Eric Shea. Eric Shea. Who you, some of you may remember from the Poseidon Adventure. He's, spoiler alert, one of the few people who lives at the end. We should rewatch the Poseidon I Adventure. I want it. Oh, or my the, God. The I haven't seen That's it. the first PG movie I ever saw. I and know. I always think of it as the Poop Side Down Adventure. This <laughs> is the Mad Magazine yeah. that was in our car <laughs> that <laughs> summer we moved to Maine. Yeah, when, uh, Bobby calls over. He says, hey, you want to sw- do some swapping? So they swap a pencil sharpener for a rabbit's foot. And then Bobby's like, I've got a Kennedy half dollar. Yeah. He's going to pimp Tommy. And Tommy says he'd give almost anything for one. And Bobby says, would you do almost mm-hmm. anything? Which, you know, I mean, if this were a different kind of show, that would be yeah. a little bit. Yeah, uh-huh. And so... Later, it's later, right? Or, or the yeah, it must be back three at o'clock. the Brady house. Yeah, Alice lets Tommy in, and Cindy comes downstairs, and she's got her hair all up. The theme music is a time, a time for, for us. us. They must have bought the rights yeah, for I that. <laughs> and Cindy's like, at last, I have the pleasure of making your yeah. Play. And Jan and Marsha are watching from the top of the yes. stairs, like people always do when. And when they go outside. On. Tommy wants to play. He wants well. First, he wants a swinging contest. Right. And Cindy's trying to. She goes like, <laughs> "It's funny." She goes, "Swings are for children." I think Ernest Hemingway is very interesting, don't you? And Tommy's like, ooh, is he a kid in our school? <laughs> and then he wants to teeter-totter, and she doesn't want to do that. And Climb um, a tree. She says it's not mature. And Tommy wants to have fun. So, so he's he goes, like, oh, yes, nice meeting you. Yeah, bye. And, she, and she's like, wait, wait, where are you going? And he says, well, you're too grown up for me. And she takes her hair down. And she's like, I was just pretending. And it turns out they both like to collect lizards. And yes, then, then they teeter-totter. Teeter-totter, and Alice brings out some banana splits. Which and look good. Carol and Mike come home from shopping, and Carol is her usual exhausted post-shopping self, and Mike has to make the usual bitchy 
mail and also it's so comment it's like, about it's spending like the money. Three thirty or four. What time does that fucker get out of work? I know he's never at work. And they're like, "Who's that with Cindy?" And Alice is like, "Well, that's her date. That's her secret admirer." And it's like it can't be because Bobby was supposed to. Oh wait a minute! And Bobby's in the family room looking out the window as they all do when yep. someone's out in the yard. It's like they either have to be upstairs and looking down the stairs to <laughs> yes. see what's going on, or they're kind of like looking, my cats. Or they're looking my cats. Right, spy it out the window. And Carolyn might confront Bobby. And now they're shocked. And Bobby's like, says he swapped a half dollar. And they say, you mean you brought a boy to be Cindy's date? And it's like, don't act like you have never done that yourselves, Mike and Carol. Yeah. Give me a fucking break. Yeah. Remember Marsha? <laughs> Alice? Who, who Ten did? Ten bucks. Ten bucks Alice for the delivery boy. Alice got the boy. delivery boy. Who? And then they got... Their friend's right, son. The, the dorky kid And with then the red someone hair. else got yes. someone. Yeah, and Greg got his friend. Yeah, but it's like I said before. They have no... They no, have no memory of... Right. Once the new episode starts, their brains are like know, revert brains back. I know, brains are And so they tell Bobby he has to go set it straight. Yeah. And then, but Tommy comes to the door and gives Bobby back money. Bobby's like, oh, wait a minute, you can't go back on this. Which is weird because Bobby was supposed to set it straight. Tommy's like, no, I don't need the money. You know, she's real neat for a girl. For a girl. I mean, no payment needed. So Bobby just shrugs. <laughs> Mike and Carol are watching. And Bobby says, hey, it's a happy ending. And and I would make a dirty joke about a happy ending, but they say... I always get the happy ending Sunday at Friendly's. Mm-hmm. Well, Carol says it's a happy ending for him, maybe, but not for you. <laughs> <laughs> and then the tag is Cindy comes in the kitchen with an empty box saying, Alice... The lizard Tommy gave me got away, and there's Have Alice on a chair. Have <laughs> Or she's up it. on the table, I think, and she's, yeah. like, oh, pointing right. in yeah. the corner. Yeah, I found it. I found your lizard. And it's cute because now Cindy has a little boyfriend. This episode, My Fair Opponent, and I think we have to say first, it was really hard to find. Yeah. It it's wasn't not on, even on YouTube. It wasn't on our usual well, YouTube. Well, a lot. did you notice the one that we've been watching, all of them have been deleted? Mm-hmm. The one with the lady watching yeah. on the... Yeah, for some reason it was hard to find this. You got Ahead of them. And I you found an it. interesting one, didn't you? Oh, I didn't watch much of it. It was called the lesbian episode and it was dubbed in yeah, dialogue. Yeah. It reminds me of one of my favorite silly. It reminds me of one of my favorite movies, What's Up Tiger Lily? Yeah. Oh my god, really. that's funny. In any case, Marsha comes home through the gate in the stockade fence, which is a new yeah, entrance. We I think I think they've used that before, but not very not often. Not very often. And we can tell she's mad because she kicks a basketball. And then Cindy's writing <laughs> on the blackboard in the kitchen, have a nice day with a big smiley face, and Marsha <laughs> scribbles out nice. And then she makes the fa- smiley face a frowny yes, face. Yes, and Cindy's and very... And Cindy's like, what the fuck? And then she storms up, and Mike is walking by, apparently not at work as usual, and she snubs him, but then halfway yeah, up the stairs... Yeah, Mike's not going to have that. No, though. and he's like, what's going on? And halfway up the stairs, she turns around and goes, oh, my senior class just played the dirtiest trick I've heard of and then she's like oh i'm too upset to say anything about i'm too mad to say anything about it she storms upstairs mike's very perturbed mike and carol come into the girls room to find out what's going on and mike says you better tell us what this is all about (laughs) so it turns out there's this senior banquet and you compete to be the hostess and it's based completely on your looks 
Um, no, you have to give a speech to just, just like, like America. scholarship pageant, um, except for they've nominated Molly Weber and she's not that attractive. Yeah. So she's not going to win. It was so a, joke. a big so joke. It was a joke. Because she's not attractive. Yeah. She's not very attractive. And the other person she's running against is Patty something or other, who is also the referred prettiest. to as Sally. Right. There's a problem. Sally yeah. Draper. <laughs> yeah, later, yeah, later, Molly refers to her as Sally, but she's the prettiest girl. So obviously, no, she says she's the most popular girl. Right, in but class. I also she has she's the prettiest. And I thought Marsha was the most popular girl in class, so I guess that was wrong. Yeah, and Mike says, "Does this Molly?" <laughs> no, and you know I love it when they say this like that. Yeah. Does this Molly know that it's a joke? And Marsha says, "No, well, she's too excited about it, but she's going to figure it out sooner or later because obviously she's so un." attractive that there's no other reason and it made me think of carrie and actually made Aww. me feel like i rather would have watched carrie than watched this up mike and carol say well maybe there's some way you can help her and marcia marcia's like well i have to think about it and we know that when a, that gauntlet is thrown down to a brady that they are going to take it up and do something and the next morning or doing that lunch thing in the kitchen where everyone's like and the bags are like stuff <laughs> like what the fuck is in there they're like fighting each other to get to the lunch bag right and, and the kids all run out except for Marsha. There's two bags left, so we know two people haven't gone yet. Marsha comes in and she goes, I've been thinking and thinking how to help Molly. And Pete comes in and says, I know how to help her. Put a bag over her head. Ha ha. Which and is Carol, asshole. And, Peter, and Carol says, Peter, that's not nice, but she doesn't really mean yeah. it. Yeah. And not everyone can be a raving beauty. And Alice makes some joke about her mirror. How, yeah, yeah so just that's my, my mirror. mirror. Yeah. And Alice says, you know, that really only happens in the movies. And all of a sudden, Marcia says, do you remember that movie, My Fair Lady? Oh. And yes, they should, because it only came out a few years before, I and think. And it was and hugely it popular. And a bunch of Oscars. And yes, well, I think and it they has, would. A, has a lot of good songs. Yes, it does. And, of course, <laughs> they remember it, but she has to go explain the movie, which for maybe the one of you out there who don't know, Professor Higgins, and it's got Audrey Hepburn, takes the poor play, little dirty. And who's Professor Higgins played by? Why can't I think it's name? Rex. Rex Harrison. Harrison. And he takes the poor little dirty char girl and... Just like Pretty Woman with Richard Gere and Julia. Yes, one of my favorite movies, as you know. That's right down there. My least all-time favorite movies with Forrest Gump. But, uh, I think I even like it less because of a lot of the things it says. Anyway. So this plot just gets done over and over. It, we are. But anyway, Professor Higgins makes her a better person by cleaning her up and making yeah. her speak right and everything. And... It's obviously a big ego feat. Doesn't he have a bet with somebody or something? Yes, that he can, because yeah. it's a nature or nurture. Yeah, yeah. Which there's also a really good Three Stooges that address <laughs> that as well. <laughs> Whole nature or nurture. So she's like, I'm going to, you know, fix her up. I'm and Carol's like, well, don't hurt her feelings. Yeah. Which, you know, okay, face it. If someone came up to me and said, you know, I can really help you improve and make you pretty. And then I'd be like, fuck yeah, you. I would be too. I'd be like, I'd be like, I like myself me? just Well, the way maybe I, I wouldn't be that confident especially when i was you know 14 or 15 but i would also i would probably be crushed because i'd be like well what's wrong with me i know marcia brings molly home and molly's wearing a sack 
like homemade dress. Which, as I said earlier when we talked about this, what she's wearing would be in style now. Yes, a, a kind of not 1800s farm girl hairdo. Glasses, which on the Brady Bunch oh, yeah, tells you somebody is unattractive. Jan has to wear them. And she's obviously painfully shy. And Marsha's like, boys, Peter, you know Molly. Yeah, the boys are playing basketball. And they stop to say hi. And, and then in the boys, you can tell they, they can't wait till she leaves yes. so they can make remarks. And Pete says to the other boys, didn't I tell you she's a wipeout? And Greg's like, she's not too bad looking. And Bobby's like, she's not too good looking either. Yeah. The fact that... Everybody was built up to that she is so unattractive is part of the problem with people's reaction to her. But also the way they're reacting, if you're a shy person or something, you're going to start getting weirded out by this family. I know. And of course, they go in the house and Cindy completely overdoes it. Being What else is new? Well, because before they came in, Jan like warned Cindy. So Cindy has... which makes it worse with Cindy. Right. So Mike comes into the kitchen, and Mike, so Mike and Carol are both there when Marsha and introduces. Right. And groovy do. Because, Daddy. as usual, he's not at work. So Marsha introduces her to them. They overdo it. Carol, especially. Yeah. Like, oh, are you sure you don't want a snack? Just Mike's like, make yourself at home. And I'd be like, get me out of this house. I know. And so she good? nervously, when walking by the counter, knocks over the thing of carrots and freaks out. And at this point, I think, you know what? She's an abused child. I know. That's what the problem is. And also, even when I was little watching the show, I wondered... Number one, why is she dressed like that and why is she acting like that? And when she did have her transformation, didn't her parents or anybody... Her parents are not mentioned in yeah, this like, wouldn't, show. Like, is there a reason she's dressing? Like, what if she's from, like, a super right. religious she's family wearing and clothes, her mother's like, right. you're not allowed to wear those Be- miniskirts. Right, because she's wearing clothes that aren't even normal They're very modest. They're like, yeah, it's like and an old lady dress. all I dress, could think again was... Which, again, would be in style now, but it's an old lady dress and... And they were in style in some places in the 70s, that whole granny look, yeah. you know. And all I could think of again was Carrie. But then after they leave, Carol says to Mike, I'm afraid Professor Marcia Higgins has her work cut out for her because obviously there's Jesus no... It's going to be really hard to improve nah, this really girl. Hard. They're in the girls' room and Marcia and Molly are studying. And Molly says, I can't imagine why the girls nominated me. And she points out again that Sally Hobart or Patty Hobart, depending on who you're listening mm-hmm. to, is the most popular girl in school. And Marcia's like, you just have to be positive and molly's like i am positive that i'm gonna lose and marcia goes there could be lots of things to improve yourself if you really tried and i'm like why does improve why i hate that phrase improve yourself you know it's like i could see saying well there's lots of things you could do to make yourself more attractive yeah, to the committee say, that's what i was gonna say you could be like okay you know the, listen if you wanted to win you know this is what the committee is judging you on right. you're the way you look and the way you act because the way you are is not okay yeah apparently because the, yeah the message is something's wrong with yourself yeah. you know and that i guess that's one of the issues but I have she it. says it's the biggest thing that ever happened to me in my life but look at me last week we predicted that jan's aunt jenny was going to be that the message it's what's inside that counts and there's more things that are important than looks and everything that that was going to be shredded at some point soon and this mm-hmm. episode has the so totally opposite 
there couldn't be a clearer opposite message than this episode. So I think the writers were like, oh my god, we actually had an episode that was supportive of women being human beings rather than being objectified. So we really need to undo that yeah. and have one that just totally objectifies women and tells them that really what's on the outside is the only thing that's important. And so Marsha's going to fix her up. Yes, and there's going to be a whole new Molly, and Molly's like, oh, that's good, because I'm sick of the old me. No, poor Molly. And it's like, no self-esteem. I know. And Marsha's not helping. No, this family is not the family to go to if you want actual, you know, like social or or Maybe she needed Aunt Jenny to come help. I know. I think Aunt Jenny would have been much more help. So we're in the family room, and Marsha is coaching her, telling her the keywords are poison dignity. Oh, I thought the keywords were being more attractive. And this is the next, we can tell it's the next day, because they have different... Different clothes, different clothes on. on. Marsha's Mar- wearing her purple outfit. Right, and Marsha tells her to stick her chest out because, of course, you want the fellows to see those boobs. And Molly says, my chest is out. <laughs> <laughs> and then they show her another day. What, the next day right. she's walking with books on her head. The next day she's and Marcia's got hot trying rollers to, her. And Marsha's trying to lift the dress up to redo the hem, and Molly keeps pushing the dress back down. You know, you gotta show some skin, baby, if you want those judges so. to like you. So then this is after... Finally. Uh, apparently a week of her doing We see whatever. some hot chick come through the gate. Yes, and she's no wearing glasses. her crocheted sweater. Well, she, she did mention she had contacts. She has contacts right. But there's no point in wearing them since right. she's apparently so hideous. Yes, I know. Really, I, she's wearing a red, white, and blue crocheted sweater. Which, vest. newsflash all you retro people, that those yeah. were popular. You know, that I, crocheted ship. I challenge <laughs> these people who, the, the hipsters who wear stuff from the 70s and think they're all retro cool to wear what we actually fucking yeah. wore back then. I challenge you guys. Go get some real 70s because clothes. Because the clothes on. didn't fit right either. No. You know, like they didn't... F- the big thing was to wear like a blouse, and back then it was always polyester with a short sleeve shirt over it. Remember mm-hmm. that? Yeah. yeah. Or it's like a sweater, like a crocheted sweater vest. And... The boys are gaga over They her. are. They're fixing a bike, and they all say hi to her with their tongues hanging out. Pete says, Molly... Oh, he says, you look great. Not at all like you. And, and then he kind of apologizes, and she says, well, that's okay, because, of course, she knows what a, you know, what a drag she was before. Wipe. And after she leaves, Pete goes, did I say she was a wipeout? And Greg says, oh, I wiped her back in. Yeah. <laughs> Which is gross. Right. I'm the, surprised Greg didn't ask her to do some and, cheers and she, for her. I know, I know. <laughs> Molly, can, Molly, can you do some cheers? cheers? Drop those books and do some cheers. <laughs> she goes in the kitchen, and Carol's putting away dishes, and she offers to help, and Carol goes, well, are you sure? Carol tells her she looks lovely, but then yeah. says, well, are you sure you want to help me with the dishes? And she goes, well, I've given up being clumsy. Like, so you can just miraculously uh, I wish I knew that. go from... And Molly says, today's a trial run. I'm going to school tomorrow as the new me. And Carol's like, oh, well, you look so wonderful. <laughs> she says, it's all thanks to Marsha. Right, right. And Carol says, well, go upstairs and wait in the girls' room. Right, and, and she goes right by... Up. Right, and she walks by... Mike, and he's like, Molly? <laughs> and like, he does the, this dramatic double take, you know. And she goes up, and Jan and Cindy are up there. Marsha's not home yet. Cindy sees Molly and says, I want Marsha to make me over. And I was like, here's a tip. Change your fucking hairstyle. You're not three years old anymore. And stop wearing the baby doll dress. No fucking shit. show your underwear. But Marsha comes in, and she kicks the girls out, and they go easily instead of saying, what the fuck, it's my room too. You know, she's like, Molly, 
mean me have work to do. And she's going to help Molly write her hostess speech. Because you have to give a speech to be a hostess. Right. And Marsha and Molly says, Marsha, I don't know how I'll ever pay you back. Marsha goes, you can pay me back by being selected. Which, again, because it's all about Marsha. Of course it is. She's not even living vicariously, but it's this is her creation. You know, and so it's about her and her ego. Now it's the next day after school, and Carol's in the family room. Marsha comes in all sad, and Carol's like, what happened with Molly? Why are you sad? And Marsha's like, oh, everybody was, what did she say? She, they, everyone thought she was a knockout. Or yeah, something. but it turns out Patty. Sally Patty <laughs> has to go to Europe or some shit, <laughs> and so she isn't going to be there. So the number three girl has to compete, and we all know that the number three girl is Marsha. We at least, we know at this point. Point. Yeah, which we is, never knew uh, before. Which is kind of weird that she wouldn't have mentioned that, that she was number three. Yeah, my feeling at this point is, well, Marsha should have done what she did when she and Greg ran against each other for student body president and just tank it. Just yeah. do it and just tank it so Molly can win. But Marsha's thinking she needs to drop out. And my feeling is, well, then if you drop out, then the number four girl, I assume, would have yes. to run. So Marsha goes through this back and forth thing. She's talking to Carol and she's like, well, I really want to, oh, it would be such an honor, but then Molly will be... And of course, Carol yeah, isn't whatever. able... Molly will be crushed. And right, blah, blah, blah. And, Carol isn't, and Carol isn't able to respond. Marsha decides to drop out Thanks, Carol, for helping her. Ha, ha, ha. Because yeah, Carol's in a good saying. The old trope. And then we see she's at, at school, school. And a crazed Jan yeah. runs up. And she's wearing bright yellow knee socks and a bright yellow sweater. Which I I actually kind of liked. But she goes, oh, Marsha, did you hear? It's fantastic news. And apparently, usually the principal is the guest of honor that the little Ew. geisha hostess has to escort the, the female And apparently escort. there's never going to be a female principal. So no. we don't have to worry about right. same-sex Having escorts. a boy, right. But. But this year they're going to have astronaut Colonel Dick Whitfield. And Marsha's like, you mean the astronaut that's going to go on the next moon mission? And apparently he's an alumnus of the school. Fillmore Junior High. Fillmore Junior High. He's their most famous alumnus. And all I can think of is, because his name's Dick Whitfield, is Don Draper's real name on Mad Men. And I'm sorry if this is a spoiler, but come on, people, it's been years, is Dick Whitman. Yes, which always reminded me of Slim Whitman. (laughs) Slim Whitman, which commercials for that Slim Whitman record album were probably playing as we were watching this. So it's a full circle. And Marsha tells Jan, no, I have to drop out. Yes. Even though she really wants to do it. And Jan goes, I hope you know what you're doing. Because so dramatic. And then we see Molly walking around because it's outdoors. It's like, because it's California. Because it's California. They outdoor have campus. These outdoor schools, yeah. And Marsha sees her. And you know, Marcia's if this sitting was, on a bench. If this was our school, it would be like everybody like out in front. The smoking, smoking area. Yeah. yeah. Not even the smoking area, but remember outside the front door, which doesn't exist anymore. Yeah, that's where we all smoke. Yeah, it wasn't. I mean, there was a smoking area back in that field. That, yeah, but in the morning we would right it wasn't the smoking area it was just oh, everybody was just standing out smoking. front it was just it's an just area a... where people <laughs> yeah. were smoking marcia sees molly and uh tells her she's going to be dropping out yeah and well molly asks her she heard about the new guest of honor and marcia's like well yeah you'll enjoy that or something like that and, and molly says well the teachers haven't made the final selection yet and then Marsha tells her she's dropping out. And Molly says, well, too bad. You would have made it a close race. And Marsha's like, uh, what do you mean? Because Marsha <laughs> thinks that she would have fucking yeah, won. Yeah, Marsha assumes because Molly would have been devastated because yeah. Marsha would have won. And Molly goes on about how popular she's become. Yes. Obviously, Marsha's created a monster. Yeah, because Marsha's like, well, thanks to me. 
And then Molly says, it doesn't make any difference how I got there. The point is, I've arrived. And Marsha's like, Whoa. do you really think you could beat me? Do you really fucking think you could yeah, beat I me, know, you little I know. bitch? And so now... You're my fucking creation. It's on. And Molly's baby. like, well, why else would you drop out? Yeah, that's bitch. right. Yeah. So Marsha has created a monster in her own image yeah and she's fired up and she's not gonna drop out so greg's in his room jan comes in to borrow some paper for marcia and greg's like i thought she wrote for the selection speech and greg's like i thought she wrote that molly's speech last week and jan goes no this is for her speech then jan said that (laughs) monster she's created and jan's very crazy jan says molly's gotten a huge head and greg said well that's a female for you yes and he says you can't trust a woman as far as you can throw an elephant yeah, and they don't they have tiny brains? Yes, the brains are the size of Tweety Bird. Yes, and nobody counters any of Tweety this. Bird had a really big head, so he did. his brain he did. was kind of big. And also, Greg, didn't this happen to you? Not what's going on with Marsha, but what's going on with Molly. The Don Trysdale episode, mm. that was at least one. I think he got a little ahead of himself on the one where he became groovy for an episode <laughs> and wanted to ask out the woman who was like 20 years yeah. older than him, the yeah. senior. So for him to shit on women when he's done this himself, I think is pretty... Yeah, well, that's well, a man And again, for we haven't seen it. We've seen a lot less of it than we saw maybe in the first season, but this is just more gratuitous female bashing because it's funny to shit on women. Yeah, well, we'll see it again. We don't see it happen with men. We don't see women making shitty well, remarks about men. So we're in the family room with Mike and Carol, and Marcia comes in and needs advice. She doesn't know how to dance. And I like this scene. I, I liked this it, too. This is a good scene. And Alice is spying on yes, them. Yes, Alice. And so they put on Moon River, which just happens to be on the stereo, and Mike dances with Carol. He waltzes with Carol. Then he waltzes with Marsha. And Marcia. Mike and Carol look very nice dancing they do, together. They do. They do a good job. And he waltzes with Marsha, which is kind of sweet, and then he waltzes with Alice. Yeah, he grabs Alice and waltzes yeah. with her. I like that. The yeah. next scene is the boys pounding, on, like they always do, on the bathroom door with their towels around their neck. Yes, and then they have to make fun because she's washing her hair or something and then they have to make fun they of girls act girly. and they all act girly and make fun of the fact that this is important to Marsha and my thought is so this whole show since episode one women have been marginalized and been you know told how awful they are and they can't do what they want to do and so the one thing that they're allowed to do that makes them feel important that gives them something to do the guys have to mock it yeah of course you know and people wonder why women you know i don't know why we're so bitter yeah we're at school the next day uh, it's selection time Marsha and molly are on the stage which looks the same as the state well it's always the same stage yeah and the speech is why i want to be hostess Mm-hmm. The judges are the principal, and there's two, I'm assuming, women teachers and a male teacher. Yeah, we don't know who they are. Sitting and, there with him. And Molly has to go first, and she begins talking, and then Marsha, and then it shows Marsha finishing. They, and then they all confer, and the principal says, we had a very difficult you time. You even. You were both really good, or something like that. And he says, you were exactly even up until the speeches. But one captivated the spirit of the occasion a little better than the other, and the winner is... Molly Weber. And Marsha looks disappointed. Molly's very excited and she jumps up and shakes the principal's hand. And Marsha looks disappointed. Then she gets that bitchy girl look on her face where she narrows her eyes and like purses her lips. Kind of yep. like sucks in her cheeks. Well, and you know, it's Marsha's own fault because she should have had 
she shouldn't have written a speech for Molly. She should have said to Molly, well, what do you want to say? And maybe helped her with the speech. No shit. So when she's home later talking to her parents, Mike says, well, you did the best you could, didn't you? And Marcia says, well, what really bothers me is that Molly beat me with the speech I helped her write. Mm-hmm. Marcia's like, I'm just going to go up to and bed. I'm going to bed. And as she's walking through the living room, the doorbell rings and it's Molly. And Marcia's like, what do you want? And Molly's like, well, I want to thank you for all the help you gave me. Marcia's like, like, yeah, okay, whatever. Whatever. And then she also apologized. Talk to the hand. Yeah. <laughs> and then she apologized. And, and then like, she okay. says, there's someone here to meet you. Yes. Which happens a lot on the show. Like, what, you can't see out the giant door that there's someone else. And she pulls in astronaut Dick Whitfield, <laughs> who's such a bad actor, we thought he was a real astronaut. I thought he was an astronaut. I thought he was pretty good looking for an astronaut. He was very good looking. And he says some bullshit. And Molly says that Mr. Watkins, the principal, is decided they're going to do something new this year and have co-hostesses. So you know why? Because the principal wants a girl on yeah, his arm, too. Yeah, he wants a girl fucker. on his arm because they're, they're both cute. And then Marcia gets very flustered and closes the door on them <laughs> to go get her parents and then opens the door. And, and then she closes her, locks herself out. Yeah. And then the tag is just very simple. Marcia comes home and she says, oh, he'll never forget her because she stepped on his feet seven times when they And danced. Mike is wearing a pink turtleneck. <laughs> yes. Because Mike and Carol are just sitting in the living room like they do. The Fender Bender, the last episode of season three of the Brady Bunch. I remember this one very well. I I remember some of it. I think, well, it's funny. Yeah, I, I don't remember it in detail, but I remember it. Although, like, one of my memories is you actually see the crash. I know, and we didn't. And this is a second time that Jackie Coogan has been a former child actor. And he also played Uncle Fester. Yes. And he's the one who accused Bobby and Cindy of uh, Uh, being radicals. Being radicals while they had their petition. (laughs) And Alice flirted with him. Yeah, Alice. Yeah, big time. (laughs) But we see the station wagon. We see almost a new, like, angle of the house. And we see the station wagon pull into the driveway. And it's zeroes right in on this big dent which looks similar to the one on my on every car, car i've ever had <laughs> my car has one and bobby they get out of the car it's bobby cindy marcia and carol and bobby says boy wait till dad finds out he's gonna be mad and marcia who's wearing a purple outfit again she wants to know when carol's gonna tell him and before carol's, dinner or after dinner and carol's like oh he's not gonna be upset but you can tell she thinks he is yeah, and i'm no a big deal it's like she's some kind of errant child and no her shit. daddy husband is gonna be mad I'll at be her like, you know what some fucker hit my car. Yeah. Look it up, asshole. Right. And it's not like, ooh, when are you going to tell him? To me, I'd be like, hey, honey, you wouldn't fucking believe what happened me to me over shit. at the I would have called him already. But it still plays out in the kitchen. Alice and Carol. Carol's worriedly. They're making dinner. Yes. Carol's worriedly chopping. Are they making salad again? Yes. And Alice is very concerned. And Carol's like, it wasn't even my fault. You know, it would be nice to have somebody to make dinner with every night. I would. I'd weigh a lot less if somebody made my dinner well, for me. Well, if they made it for you. But it'd be nice to have... Anyway. Yeah, but Carol's, you can tell, still worried about telling Mike. Yeah, but she says it, was, it wasn't my fault. She's still obviously worried yeah, about telling worried. Mike. But and Alice is like, well, you can tell him now. Because he's come home, and Carol goes in, and she has to list all the wonderful things she did for him. She she confirmed his golf date for him. And, and she found some button and sewed it on right. something. And <laughs> she, right, and she picked up his dry cleaning, and she made his favorite dinner, chicken and dumplings. And so Mike's like, so what? But it went bad today. Yes. Again, it's very She's like hemming and hawing, and in the meantime, Greg comes in and just says, Hey, who banged up the car? And Carol's all pissed at him. Mike has to go look at it. Yes, and it's like Carol's one of the kids or something. Yeah. 
And so Carol says this guy backed into her at the grocery store, and she's like, he had about the same amount as damage as me. We're both dented in the back and the, the fender. And she so. goes, we exchanged names. She doesn't say information because I'm waiting for somebody to say insurance, but then there will be no plot. Mike says, well, it would have been wiser to report it. Yeah, she said they both agreed to just take care of their own. Yes, and I don't know, you know, maybe it's different there, maybe it was different back then or something, but I know everywhere I've ever lived since I've owned a car, if you think the amount of damage is over a certain amount, you're supposed to call well, the police. Well, it used to be like 300 bucks, but now it's more. It's yeah. like 1000 When I was first driving, I think it was 500 mm-hmm. The reason Carol and Mr. Duggan, that you do that is so that uh, there's a police report, so nobody's arguing over who's Although maybe the writers didn't know that because they have. Because they're rich California people. So Jan and Peter come home and make fun of the dent. And say, oh, Greg's going to get it. And it's like, no, it was your mother who did it. And Um, then we see Greg on the phone to Eddie, and he's saying, hey, I don't have a car I'm without wheels, because <laughs> Because my mother got in an accident. And, and at first I'm thinking it's drivable, but then he has yes, to point out that the taillight's no tail out. And Marsha and Jan are sitting in the living room looking at a magazine, and they're like, look, I like these jeans. And they're like, Sally or somebody yeah. has them. So let's, Why don't we call her and see where she got them? Yes, exactly. So Marsha goes over to pick up the phone, and when she and picks it up. Eddie is in the middle of saying, women sure are dumb drivers. And then he adds, no one's dumber than a woman driver and marcia overhears it and gets pissed i know and she gives him some shit she goes men are worse drivers than she's giving him shit so they start arguing and like who and are you talking to who are you talking I know. to and greg's like getting pissed off and then, and then eddie marcia and marcia slams arguing. down the phone and greg's like yeah that was my sister the one you wanted to ask out and so eddie hangs up on but in greg. the meantime marcia comes in and says to greg's face for your information yeah. it was a man driver that caused that accident which i don't blame her i don't blame I would have done the same I know. thing. If I, first of all, ask an insurance who gets a more accident. Wait, wait, what are they called? The um appraisers? Not appraisers, the underwriters. Uh, uh, yeah, whatever. I, I can't remember I don't what know. they're called. Yeah, they're but yeah, ask insurance companies. Who gets some more accidents? Yeah. The higher your insurance is for your age group and gender, it means the more of your age group and, and gender gets an And that's an objective thing. And women, Carol, not age, a subjective don't thing. have high insurance, yeah. right? I'm just saying. Just saying. So Mike and Carol are going out for the I evening. I just want to interject, though. Yes. For the first time, I think, ever, there's a fire in the fireplace. Oh, nice. And we know that Mike and Carol are going out for the evening because Greg can't has said, right. I can't use my dad's car. And so they're Getting, they're about ready to go and out. And someone's at the door. Mike goes and answers. And he's like, hi, I'm Harry Duggan. And he walks right in. And he's appraising, apparently. They're, yes, he's, looking, he's like, you have a lovely home. Yeah, but the way he's looking is in a very predatory way. And he wants to settle. Carol's still upstairs. And he wants to settle it man to man. He says, you know women drivers. And he says his car had to be towed. And then Carol comes down in the meantime. And she does say, again, that they have the same amount of damage. Yeah. Yeah. He tells Mike that she just barreled out of the space without looking. After he carefully looked and was backing out, she just barreled out of her space. He kind of tells the same story Carol had told. Yes, it's funny. Yes. It's the same. Carol keeps, like, balking at what he's saying. And he's like, well, I want to tell my side of the story. And I mean, Mike's just like, okay. And, I, and I'm and i like thinking, why doesn't Mike say, my wife's right. already told yeah, me what happened. Get the Mike, fuck out of my house. Right. Why is Mike the arbiter And wh- Yeah. This? And why is Mike even entertaining? You him? know, let's let the insurance companies... Oh, 
wait, nobody called an insurance company. So but Harry, Harry says it was $295.11. Which is, I looked it up, it's about $1,700, which is about what yes, that would be now as somebody who hit a deer and, and had that. And, and then he lists all the stuff that happened, and Carol's like, you didn't have all that damage. Yeah, and like he's a like, new are muffler you, and And shit. he's like, are you saying I'm lying? And she's and, like, yes, and, and then, not very, and then, not very. But then he questions Mike's manhood. Because, yes. and because Mike's letting. where's the pants in this family. Right, so Mike throws him out, and he's like, are you threatening me? And Mike's like, yeah, I, I am, yeah. He throws him out. In the meantime, Bobby and Cindy are watching from the top of but, the stairs. But Carol's like, oh, what am I going to do? And I'm like, insurance company. Yeah, but sorry. I know, no plot. That ship has sailed. I know. Bobby and Cindy come down, and they're all worried, and they tell Mike and Carol that they did not see right. Carol. Right, because in court they'd have to tell the truth, and they didn't see Carol turn around and look. And Carol was kind of pissed. She's yeah. like... Um, and so Mike rushes them off to bed, and, and Carol's... And Carol's like, I did look. She's yes. very upset, do which I don't blame me? her. I know, and she keeps insisting that, you know, do you, you do believe me, you do believe me. And so Mike and Carol are getting ready for bed, and they're talking about it, and they're like, we might as well just pay. It's the only thing to do. It's the only thing to do. And Carol, the thing that's really infuriating Carol the most is that Duggan's going to think that she's admitting yes. her guilt. Yes. She doesn't want him to think he's right. And I would feel the exact same way. And I want to know, and, why and is their bedroom so fucking huge? I know, it is. It's giant. Their bedroom is it's huge. <laughs> the rest of the house, it's like the den in the bedroom. You know, the whole bedroom, which will come up again later, that they don't have enough bedrooms for the kids, they could subdivide that know, bedroom and it'd still be bigger than and the they kids' ha- And we've never seen their bathroom, but yeah. they have their own bathroom. But and the kids never are the, allowed to use, apparently. Right. Speaking of bathrooms, Pete wants to get into the bathroom. Bobby's in there, and he's Pete's calling him a creep and a Benedict Arnold. <laughs> creep. And Greg's no like... No one ever uses the word creep anymore. I, know. I use it, but... I use it sometimes, like, for... But for someone like, who's creepy, creepy, but not, like, it's like, yeah. Yeah, and Greg kind of admonishes Peter for saying that, and then it shows the girls' room, and Cindy's telling Jana Marsha what's going on, and then Marsha's like, Jesus Christ. And Marsha's like, I was there, too. You need glasses. Yeah, and so... Mike and Carol are reading in bed. Carol's still upset. She's been on page 146 for like an hour and a half or something. Oh, yes. When Mike, how does he know this if he's reading his own book? But Marcia comes in and she says, you know, it wasn't Mom's fault. I saw her look back. The next morning, Cindy is... She's getting legal uh, advice from Alice. She's in the kitchen with Alice and she she tells Alice, she's afraid to go to court where the judge swears at you. (laughs) And Alice is like, he swears you in. And Cindy's like, well, that sounds just as bad. So Alice... Fucking stupid. She is stupid. Alice sets her straight. She's learned a lot about the law from the bold ones. And remember, I remember the. Bo- I remember shows. their logo. Yes. And so she gives Cindy. She gives. Advice. She tells Cindy that the, it's just like it is on TV, which I'm sure every lawyer who's listening is going to cringe. And she's explaining this. And Mike and Carol come in and interrupt it. They're going to restage the scene of the crime. Mike have this big idea, and I'm like, like they've never had like that. They've before. never done this before. <laughs> What annoys me about it is apparently restaging the scene of the crime just means having Greg in the other car back into Carol. And nobody says, like, Bobby and Cindy, what were, okay, what were you doing? Yeah. Let's try to remember what you were doing when you allegedly saw Mom. Yeah. Because that's the crux of the whole I thing, know. right? Yeah. But nobody says to them, what were you doing when you saw Mom not turn around? Yeah. Marcia was in the front seat. So Greg starts backing towards them, and Cindy... And Bobby starts squabbling about something, and Marcia says, 
wait, they were fighting. So it's like it was just a happenstance that that's remembered. It wasn't part of the reenactment yes. at all. And so they're all talking about that. And, of course, Greg is still back. Because <laughs> Mike says, don't stop until I, I tell you to, which I don't even understand the whole point of Greg backing As up. As if Greg wouldn't stop. <laughs> he didn't. And so they figured it out, and they make Greg stop. It's like, duh. And Mike says, it only takes a split second to miss something yeah mike and then alice calls mike charlie chan which Which, gives them the opportunity to make racist right use racial asian stereotypes and uh, i'm not saying asian accents right and i'm not saying that the charlie chan show didn't do that as well yes but but they were not making fun of the charlie chan show they were just being racist fun of Asian. But it's new for them. I mean, usually it's Native Americans. Right. Now we're in court. (laughs) The Brady's are there. The judge calls them. And they're standing at their table just like in people's court or Judge Judy. Yes. And And Duncan's not there yet. When I was recently in small claims court, and I can't really talk about it because we settled, but it was very interesting. Almost everybody there was there because of credit card debt. There were some credit card company guys there who who wow. were who had like five or six cases. And I'm like, oh wow, you can go there for credit I've card debt. Never, uh-huh. And a lot of the people didn't show up, but I would say about three quarters of the people there were because it looked like it was finance companies. Aww, that's kind of sad. And I wasn't just don't you judge me, people. I was actually the plaintiff in my yeah. thing. But it was interesting because what happened is the judge called all the people and the ones who didn't show up, he took care of them first and he said, I want the rest of you to, we're going to take a recess to go after. think about what you did. Yeah, think Sorry. about what you did and see if you've learned something. No, but I, he dealt with the ones who weren't there after he called to see who was there. And then he said, we're going to take a recess and those of you who were, you're both here, I want to see if you can go out and see if you can settle and then come back in and let us know you've settled. Oh, nice. And so that's what we did. Deal. I've been twice to court. Once was an eviction court, and I wasn't being evicted. I used to be a landlady. Mm-hmm. And um, our tenant did show up, and we... Evicted the shit out of him. N- not that time. No. We did later, and she didn't show up for that one. But uh, we worked out an agreement with her, which she stuck to for a short period of time and then did. But anyways. I was a witness with my landlord. My, speaking of creeps, my landlord in did you want to kill your Goffstown, New Hampshire. Kill, kill your landlord. He brought a complaint against neighbors across the street that their dog was barking all day. And I was supposed to be his witness. Uh, oh, you're just like David Berkowitz. Okay. Yeah. Sorry, yeah that was a lot kind of, of stuff. Sorry. But he never asked me if I heard the dog barking or what I was going to say. And my apartment, my tiny little apartment, faced their house. And I had heard the dog barking on and off. But the Patriots were playing and was when I used to watch football. Mm. And and my feeling was if it had been barking all day, it would have bugged the shit out of me. Well, yeah. But... I can't remember, I got subpoenaed, and I don't think, he never, like, came to me and said, here's what's going on about it, and so I was, so I went up on the witness stand, and the, <laughs> I'm sure the judge thought this was ridiculous, it was a $25 dog yeah, thing, like, thing the and the fuck? guy wanted to go to, my landlord's the one I think who wanted to go to the court, or maybe they were fighting it, I can't oh, remember so now, stupid. but the judge said to me, did you hear the dog barking? I said, I heard it on and off, but I can't say it was prolonged barking, I just remember my landlord, like, putting his head in his hands, and shaking his hands, and well, it was shit. ridiculous. The other time I was in court was for my divorce, so. Oh, that's sad. Yeah. Okay. Anyway, 
<laughs> so they, so Duggan isn't there yet, and the judge says, well, we'll give him a couple minutes. And then he comes in, and he's wearing a neck brace. Which Carol's all aghast and And that's annoyed. the one one of my big memories of this <laughs> from when I was a kid brace. is him wearing the neck brace. And, and, I, and I think my, my one of my memories is, as a kid, thinking, wow, he's, he's faking. Like, that was the first time i was aware people faked yeah. whiplash or something and the and the he tells the judge he has whiplash and the judge the seems judge, a little dubious he seems skeptical yeah. and what i like is they have on they have a blackboard and since <laughs> he's the plaintiff he gets to go first and they have like six little magnet cars yes. on the and he says so she was parked like this and he takes it like this <laughs> and like turns it at this weird <laughs> angle, like this weird angle. And, and that was kind of funny and, and he says and of course she came out and, and he uh, yeah he does the the and he also says to the judge, of course, you know women drivers. And the judge, to his credit, and i got to say this is one of the first times on the show I've ever heard a man defend women, says, well, that's not pertinent to to this. It's only pertinent to the, the gender is only pertinent to the spouse of the driver. Yes. And, the, uh, yeah, the judge is not impressed. Uh, he gives him his damages list. He also mentions. It's just like, what the fuck? Right. And he also mentions it more than once that he can't even turn his yes, head. Yes, he I cannot can't even... turn his head. And he says his wife is, like, sickly. Yeah. He was doing the marketing because his wife is sickly. Or because sick. he can't just go shopping for himself. Right. And I also think he was trying to get sympathy from the court. So and then Carol gets her turn. Yes, and, and instead of him going back to his table, he's hovering behind her. Not unlike Trump in that debate with Hillary Clinton. I know Clinton. that's exactly what it reminded me of too. I know he's just like standing behind Carol. He's like standing right behind and her. And I'm like, why isn't the judge say, "Listen, go back"? If it were Judge Judy, she would have said, "Go back go to back your table." Sit down, right? But he doesn't, and then he keeps interrupting Carol when it's her turn to give her testimony. Not unlike Trump in the debate. Too. I know. So the judge asks Marsha if she was there, and she tells that she saw Carol look, turn around, turn around and look. And then he asked Bobby and Cindy, and they said they didn't see because they were fighting. And, and then, then they, they get into the fight again. And the judge is amused by that. Yes, and then. The judge says he's going to take it under advisement. You know, they both see... And seem... Mike is l- watching Duggan from behind. Yes. And Mike, you can see the little Mike light bulb yes. go, go above Mike. And the Mike, who inexplicably has a briefcase with him, a heavy briefcase, takes the briefcase and throws it on the floor. And Duggan whips his head around to see what the noise was. But, you know, if Duggan were smart, he'd be like, wow, I'm cured. Yeah, I know. But, um, or, oh, Jesus, that hurt. God, why'd you do that? Now my neck is even worse than it was before. Move. So the <laughs> the judge finds in favor of Carol because he says, well, it appears you've been faking and I can't, he used some legalese. Yeah. And Mike and Carol again with the Asian accent. Right. Because I guess Mike was like Charlie Chan. He's so brilliant. He thought of that. And so they do some more fake Asian, stereotypical cartoonish Asian accents. Yeah. Much and, to the amusement of all. And then the tag is Peter... And Jan are fighting over a candy bar, and, which... And Peter says... I he, bought it yesterday. And Jan says, well, I just bought it. And I'm like, well, how do you <laughs> fight over it then? I don't know. And it's already partially it's already unwrapped. unwrapped. Cindy's going to be the judge. Yes. And so that she makes them give... She sits behind the, behind the counter and she's like, I'm going to be the judge. I need to examine the evidence. <laughs> Good for Cindy. <laughs> They give her the candy bar and she, she just runs away it. with it and starts eating it. Yeah. So that's and, and that's that was pretty funny. It is. 
And that's the end of season three. Oh my gosh. Yes. Yes. Well, I can't so believe it. So far we've and come. And then the next episode is the beginning of season four. And they go to they Hawaii. Go to Hawaii. For, and, and there's a lot to talk about with that. Yeah. In fact, we should, so next. One of the more memorable episodes. Memorable. Okay, so. And we may be, it may be a little late. I know these aren't exactly a week apart, but like the, just like the Brady's went to Hawaii, next week I'm going to beautiful Lubeck, Maine. Oh, how nice. Which is about. Is Are far... you going to go to Campobello? No, because I don't have a passport. Oh. I do oh, have a passport. Oh, my God, but... my passport's running out. Yeah, mine's expired. It's about as far east as you can get. It's a beautiful little seaside. In the United States. Yeah. It's a beautiful little seaside town, and I'm going to try to and get And they someone... have a red and white striped, red and white striped lighthouse. So. Yes, eventually I'll finish the sentence. That's Quaddy Head. But, <laughs> but I, I got a nice Airbnb. It's a cute little town, and it's on Horror Hill Road. And the funny thing is I'm going to be there on Halloween, which I... Oh, so funny. I may turn... Oh, wow. (laughs) (laughs) I'm going to leave all your ums and stutters. (laughs) So anyway, what I'm saying is the edit may be delayed because I'm going to be trying to write my book and I'm not going to be working on anything else. So next episode is the season four starting, as we said. Episode one is Hawaii Bound. Episode two is Pass the Taboo. Ooh. Mm -hmm. And I think you guys all remember these. Episode three, The Tiki Caves. Yes. Episode four, Today I Am a Freshman. Yes, Marsha, starting her Mm -hmm. high school career. Episode five, Cyrano de Brady. Oh, I love that one. I love that one. And episode six is Fright Night. Ooh. Mm, you know what? We're going to see some things that we've seen before. Oh, no. The Brady's never repeat so stuff. So look for us on Twitter at GroovyTubePod on Facebook, where Becky does some neat little slideshows with the closed caption. Yeah, I'm behind well, them. Up. Well, by the time this gets out. Yeah. yeah. You can email us at groovy2podcast at gmail.com. Yes. Let us know what your favorite episodes are. And you can go on our website. Yes. Which is groovy2podcast.com. Did you already say that? No, No. I didn't. And if you want to donate to Patreon, you can go on crimeandstuffonline.com, which is our other podcast where we have our donate button. And you can also email us with your memories of the Brady Bunch. Yes. Yeah. If you have anything you want to talk about. Yeah. So until next time, thanks for listening. And stay groovy. And a special thanks to Ben Sound for our groovy music.